Hello? What's your favorite scary movie? Fear the Talking Queer. Part 2. Two? Who's gonna do that? Sequels suck. Hey, bitch. Hey, bitch. What is going on? Oh my gosh, I cannot believe this. We are at our season two finale. Honestly, this is crazy. I cannot believe that it's been one year that we've been doing Fear the Talking Queers and we're still Whoa. going. Yeah, you know what? I just want to thank all the little people out there. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> no, and no, honestly, it's insane that this is uh was such like a little a little idea that you threw mm-hmm. my way and here we are a year later with how many episodes do you th- do we have total now between season one and two girl hella um like th- almost 60 50? but not quite almost like i think it's something like 58 59 episodes yeah like what in the hell like i can't believe that i've edited that many videos episodes um it's insane but i couldn't be happier with this project i love it so much and i and you know i still believe in it a whole year later i know some of our um uh fellow Fellow. podcasts (laughs) have uh fallen off the map because you know i get it life is going back to normal in like a rapid way and people's lives are coming back i know mine is really dramatically getting busy so um yeah (laughs) but i'm happy that in in two full seasons you and i have never missed a week no and literally we've had like mental health breaks well i did earlier on in season one yeah (laughs) and then like um Honestly, I, sometimes we've had two episodes come out in a week, like in season one. Yeah. Even even in season two, we had yeah. uh, we tried we dabbled a little bit with here the talking queers. Yeah, but we, Which we I just hope one day we we can bring that back. Maybe 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 one day. It's just tough because you know we put a lot of effort and time into each episode, and uh, you know sometimes it's hard to get two of those out in one week, or sometimes yeah. it's even hard to not only find a time to record but also watch the movies you know life is busy so here the talking course isn't dead no it's not dead maybe one day it'll be resurrected but honestly like the more famous we get the more this seems like this will be our career path and then we can just spend all our time doing this but now over here if you're the talking (laughs) queers i know that we sound like a professional production but literally it is just jake and i yeah we do this all on our own like this is just from the 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 passion in our hearts that we do yeah. this. So we we do it because it, you know, it's been such an amazing outlet, and um, I think that we've only gotten stronger with time, and I think we've really gotten to a flow, especially here in season two, um, with how we like to do things, just with yeah. our rapport with each other. Uh, it's just, yeah, I think that we are still delivering just as well as we did when we first started here in season yeah. two. But that's my personal opinion. I guess it's up to the 
court of the public opinion. <laughs> well, you know what? I have to say that I enjoyed season two, I think, more than season one because it took us a while to find our footing, to find our sound, oh, yeah. to find our rhythm. And so now that in season two, we've been able to really stick with the sort of rhythm that worked for us. And so I yeah. feel like it was stronger. It was more consistent. And we even mixed it up a little bit in our movie choices. We did thrillers. We did um, comedy. There's just comedy. Like- Black, like dark comedies, black comedies, like that may not even be technically considered horror, but I mean, you know, there's horror in every sort of situation. It doesn't have to yeah. be like blatant, you know, stab, stab, kill, kill kind of horror. Like, I strongly believe that there's horror in many different situations including comedy and so i yeah. don't I, we i i don't think we ever rule out genres as far as like you know I, that's not no. horror enough if like, they no. have a horror element to them sure then let's go for it like yeah, th- th- we, looking we're back, not afraid i can think of like a few like fear was a fear. little bit more thrillerish the mummy totally. was more action you yeah. know Little Shop of Horrors, musical. Musical. Like, come on. Yeah, definitely. Jawbreaker is a, is a dark comedy. The Stepford um, Wives. Oh, Stepford Wives is definitely definitely like a dark comedy, a satire. Yeah, so we really mix it up with some really interesting ones this season. And I'm, I'm kind of proud that we did that because, mm-hmm. you know, again, this isn't against anybody else, but it's like, you know, you sort of see the same... Uh, movies sort of pop up a lot which you know they're all great and everything like that but uh, we always want to try to to be different and bring you something maybe you can't hear from your favorite horror other horror podcasts that often yeah and also yeah. We, we we love campy uh we love campy gay shit too so we oh so, yeah so uh, yeah Anything that's like an extra can... added element right yeah exactly oh, yeah I was a promising young woman, you know. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every, that falls in every genre. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite episode of yours from this season? Oh my goodness, <laughs> we had some really fun ones. I remember specifically um, really loving recording Killer Clowns. Yeah, you, I mean, I, you and I laughed a lot that episode, and um, I think we were just on a <laughs> we we're just on a different planet that day. Wink, wink. Literally. Yeah. And uh, no, we, I, I just remember having a great time talking about Killer Clowns. Um, I think Queen of the Damned was like one that came out of nowhere as far as like comedic value, especially considering the fact that we recorded it twice because I accidentally deleted my audio. Oh, and that's you, right. And then you edited the episode. So that one is really special. But also really good i think that we were also on top of our game and and surprisingly enough that's one of our actually more uh, like underdog episodes play wise like shockingly i I know i think it deserves a little more i mean obviously people it's all going to depend on whether people want to rewatch the movie or what but yeah that one i was hoping would have a little more recognition because i do think the quality of it is really good yeah. One of the ones I really appreciated, um, because I think it showed the strength in us as podcast hosts, was um, the skeleton key. Because oh. random random pick. Random. But it, it was because I, during that week, was home with COVID. Oh, and yeah. 
I was like, I could easily be like, I don't feel good. You know, I, I mean, even though I mostly felt fine, I still was a little off. And maybe listening back to the audio, I'm like, maybe I should have waited until my voice cleared up. But um, <laughs> but I, I thought that showed like our resiliency almost. Like, like we said, we really pride ourselves on when we have a season going, we post every week. And I know that it, schedules are getting really hard and not all the podcasts are able to do that. So the fact that we kind of just pushed through and made it happen like even today we're so busy you're so busy in real life like to come and even just do this final episode as now we can get a break and now we can reconfigure our schedules and things like that but i just thought it showed uh like our i don't know no sure no i think i think resilience was like a, a great word to describe it um, I'm trying to think. Like we ha- we had some trials and tribulations. Like I said, I deleted my audio for Queen of the Damned. We had some audio issues oh, here girl. and there with a few episodes. Uh, yeah, fear. I can think of fear, <laughs> but I love I, fear is one of my favorite episodes from this season. But my audio, yeah. I have. I got a new microphone for season two, and for like the first few episodes, I was recording in the opposite end of the microphone, so like <laughs> my audio was not being recorded correctly. And that Dumbass. one, I think you re- you recorded through your laptop on accident. Yes, and then in Val <laughs> in Valentine with the Fang Girls, oh, shout out yeah. to the Fang Girls. Yeah, we did, that was our that was our co- our only is that our single collab for this- our season? Yeah, wow. for our show. Yeah, oh, yeah. and exclusive um, Fang Girls, and um, I was recording on the wrong side of my microphone for that. Yes, dumb. <laughs> But um, like we said, but we are resilient and we always make it work no matter what. Even if the audio isn't the best or something like that, we're still going to give you, uh, we're still going to get something out for you if we could. We, we were really, we were really adamant about that. And I'm so proud that we stuck to the schedule that we did. And I hope everybody um, enjoyed the episodes that came out weekly. Hope they help you get through your day, through your drive, through your workout, through your whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I do want to say also on the hint of collabs, during season two, we collabed with uh, Homies of Horror also on their Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah. Part two episode. Freddy's Revenge. Yes, we did do that. Wow, I can't, wow, that feels like forever ago. That feels like forever ago. But honestly, this was a much shorter season for us because in season one, we really came heavy. We were doing multiple episodes. We had more time on our hands. We had holiday oh, we had specials. all the time. Oh, I know. We I'm sorry we couldn't get everything. you guys like us. Yeah, we couldn't get you guys like a, a, a special this season. Um, but you never know in the future. They're just a lot of work. And again, we had a lot of time on our hands back in the midst of you know like lockdown and covid when nobody was doing anything like we had nothing but time to write scripts and and come up with ideas and record (laughs) multiple takes of things and uh you know it's it's a lot of work you know what it didn't slow us down at all we've had exponential growth both on social media oh my gosh and for listens like it used to take us like two months to pull off the numbers that we're pulling off in one month now so we and each i guess month that we continue and keep going i think we noticed a lot of growth and how much how much more support we're getting and how many more plays we're getting so thank you yeah thank you out there i mean it it's all because of you it's all because of listeners if we didn't have anybody listening to us we wouldn't do this Right? Yeah. I would. Right. We'd, right. We'd be like, oh, that's totally discouraging. But 
we still have a consistent amount of listeners every week. Yeah, and it keeps and, getting better. We just hit yeah. 9,000 plays. Yay, yes. Like, who yeah. knew that, uh, this little idea would have 9,000 plays? Seriously. And I suspect with the numbers that we've been getting that we will be at 10,000 before our season three premiere. Ooh, one can only hope. How are we going to do that? How are we going to achieve that? I know. Well, I think our movie choices for season three are amazing. So yeah. that's something to look forward to. We will be announcing like all the episodes that we're doing. We're just not going to tell you when we're going to be doing them. Um, yeah. But in October, that we're going to do our voting thing again for season three, where you yes. vote for the movies that we do in October, because October is a very important month for us at Fear the Talking Queers and the horror community in general. Yeah, so absolutely. We're going to leave yeah, it to the people. That's uh, when um, Columbus Day is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Gray, gray. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a, I think that's in November. Uh, no, that, of course it's Halloween time. It's the best time of the year. I know. We and we're going to be doing new releases during nude releases. A nude, nude, nude <laughs> yep, nude releases on our website. If you're the talking queers dot com, onlyfans.com slash the talking queers. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh my god. Oh my god. Well, okay, before we continue on talking about season three, what do you think our top five episodes were for season two as far as plays and listens and downloads? Mm, Well, I mean, I know what the number one is, obviously. The number one was Midsommar. Like, what? What? (laughs) I cannot believe that. That episode, I was like... Oh my gosh, you know, it's so divided within the horror community. There's so many people that like don't get it or say it's trash. And there's some people that just love it. So I sort of thought it'd be sort of a middle of the road episode, but it has like blown up in the Our number one episode other than season one's I Know What You Did Last Summer episode for some reason. I don't Crazy. know why y'all love it, but y'all Crazy. love it. Literally, that also has a lot of listens. It's but, been uh, a yeah. staple for us to hear at Fear the Tongue Gurus. We're like, how is I Know What You Did Last Summer so popular? <laughs> I don't know what it was about that, but people live for that movie or I don't know, listening to about listening about it. I don't know. But Midsommar was our breakout episode, our number one this season. So thanks this for season. making that happen because I love that movie so much. I know. And in season two, it's another, or season two, girl, not season two. Um, and number two to Midsommar this season was our another favorite, Scream. Oh my yes. gosh. Yes. Like, I mean, that that makes sense because then our, <laughs> our episode after that, I think just in the total running, is the Scream franchise from our season one. <laughs> so like, literally like neck and neck. Love, yeah, you y'all love Scream. You guys want to hear about it, and you know that we'll, we're just gonna kill it when we do an episode on Scream, right? Yes, right? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna murder it. Um, <laughs> coming in at number three was our one and only collab on our channel this season, which was with the Fangirls for Valentine. Oh, uh, that's such a cute episode. It was our little double I- date. Yeah, that was our little double day with the fangirls. And uh, coming in at number four, Urban Legend. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all, you guys love slashers. 90s slashers, specifically. 90s slashers. I mean, yeah, I guess that's... I think that's our aesthetic, mostly. So, like... (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's what people expect us. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Expect from us, yeah. 
And number five, a personal favorite of Jake's, the very um, first episode that he was like, we have to do this in season two, The Lost Boys. Oh my gosh. I didn't think, oh, oh, that surprises me. I don't know why. Oh, yay. I love that. Yeah. I'm glad it made it into the top five. Yeah. Some close runner-ups were The Mummy, The Stepford Wives, Fear, Ma, and Vacancy. Ooh, good ones. Oh, yeah. Aw, season two. What a good season. Yeah, it's a great season. So definitely go back and listen while we're on our little break until we get ready for season three. But I have to say that our season three looks very promising between our movie choices, the marketing that we've come up with. We have a new sound, you know, like kind of a new little intro that we always do. Like yes, I'm so excited for it. It's so good. I know. You're going to be Frankie, dipping. Frankie killed it. Spinning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dip, yeah. Dip, spins, uh, floor work, duck walk. Cow- face category realness it's gonna be everything it's gonna be legendary legendary. (laughs) it's gonna do what needs to be done (laughs) (laughs) teen um yes so um before we get into our episode for this week, go and leave us an Apple Podcast review. We need yeah. them. Tell us what you thought of the season. Let us know if you liked it. Let us know if you like this new form. I mean, we changed our format for season two. If you listen yeah, to the first episode or the first season, our episodes are only about an hour long. We sort of just have a conversation with each other about it, like the whole movie at once, you know. But this one, we really we doubled the time of our episodes. Yeah, we went in depth. We are like professional movie investigators now. Yeah, exactly. No, we we went section by section to make sure that we didn't miss any big moments. Um, Because there's nothing worse than like, I guess to me, than listening to a podcast and be like, oh, they didn't talk about my favorite (laughs) part. So uh, now we we tried our best to avoid that. Um, Like we said, doubled our our runtime. Like, did you like that? Did you not? Who knows? Maybe we'll go back to the other way for the... for the next season maybe we'll keep it this way uh let us know which one you like more but uh leave us an apple podcast review and um you know give us five stars yes absolutely and if you feel compelled like you really want to support uh the fear of the talking queers beyond just listenership you can donate to us by going to fear the talking slash donate and you can find out ways you can do a one-time donation you can do a monthly donation that will tell you the methods of how we can receive those donations and how you can be a legendary Fear the Talking Queer. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, season two. What a ride. I'm so pleased with it. And um, I think that we're about to finish this off with a fucking banger. Banger. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Real quick. Season three will premiere on July 23rd. So we're going to be gone for like July. a Right, July <laughs> July 23rd. It's going to be Friday. We're going to continue posting on Fridays, new episodes. But in the meantime, we will be posting new stuff to our website. We're going to have wallpapers, games, and we're going to be all on social media still keeping up yeah. with Fear of the Talking Queers. So Absolutely. Send, send us a message. We're not going anywhere. Like We'll still have our phones on us. So, yeah, send us a message. Let us know if you've... <laughs> re-listen to any episodes from season two which ones you love um we've got already so so many amazing comments just throughout the year um from you guys and just personal messages and 
just sweet stories from people saying how we brighten their day and in turn those those brighten our day too yes so now let's get into what's gonna catapult us <laughs> to the <laughs> highest ranking of all podcasts <laughs> yeah <laughs> trolls too i'm just kidding <laughs> ah! world tour (laughs) (laughs) no um scream 2 scream 2 we we are ready for scream 5 like it's not even we are ready and you know what watching in the heights this weekend and seeing (gasps) melissa barrera who is gonna be the star of scream 5 kill it in in the heights made me even more excited i was like oh this girl is gonna bring it star she's a star yeah she's star power and so as we ramp up to Scream 5, we're going to try to hit hit them all before then. And we know that release date. I know you know it. So, yes. um just be prepared for it. There's more than just this episode coming out on Scream. So, uh, but yes. until then, you got to get into Scream 2 because it's my personal favorite. I know it's a controversial statement because I know hmm. that there's don't fuck with the original. We know. But um, I don't know. I've always loved sequels better. Yeah, you sequels, are sequel bitch. better. <laughs> <laughs> Think bigger. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, <laughs> uh, so why don't we just get into it? There's a lot of backstory to this movie. Yeah. Oh. I'm sure you've heard it on a million podcasts already. But uh, let's just get into the movie, and we can we can get into the backstory in this first yeah. section. All right, here's yes. Scream 2. It's showtime. Then why don't you show your face, you fucking coward? My pleasure. Scream 2, released in 1997, written by Kevin Williamson, directed by Wes Craven. R.I.P. Wes Craven. Who? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Our movie begins at the Rialto Theater, where Windsor College seniors Maureen Evans, played by Jada Pinkett Smith, and Phil Stevens, played by Omar Epps, attend a sneak preview of Stab, a film based on the events of the Woodsboro Massacre. As they wait in line, Maureen expresses her distaste for horror films, especially since they usually exclude the African-American element, and she'd much rather see the Sandra Bullock movie playing down the street. As they finally make their way into the theater lobby, an employee hands each of them a ghost face costume given to them by the studio exclusively for the movie screening. Maureen and Phil make their way into the theater to find their seats and it is chaos. More than half the... (laughs) Bitch. (laughs) Girl. (laughs) That's an understatement. You ever been to a movie fucking premiere like this? (laughs) If I did, I would walk the hell out the second I walked in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, excuse me? I'm supposed to watch this movie with all this this rigmarole going on? Rigmarole, girl. This rigmarole. No, hell no. Insanity. More than half the audience is decked out in their free ghost face costumes. Black lights illuminate the audience. Ghost face props fly overhead. <laughs> and- <laughs> that, that fucking wicked witch that flies. Like, girl, what's going on? <laughs> and people are chasing each other up and down the aisles with their fake glow in the dark knives. On screen, we see Stab's version of Casey Becker. <laughs> This time played by Heather Graham. 
as she begins to reenact the iconic opening scene from the first movie. Already worked up, Maureen decides to get some snacks. As she waits in the popcorn line, she hears two girls behind her mention that Stab is a true story, which further upsets her. Like, girl, it was on the movie poster. Like, calm down. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> All these kids got killed in California <laughs> last I know. year. That Demi, the Demi Moore cameo. <laughs> <laughs> Does that look like Demi Moore? No, she has blonde hair. No, the that- girl that's talking to her. That's just a oh, movie. I just, I can only picture the. The blonde, the blonde girl. haired girl, Betty Spaghetti. With that hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. As she makes her way back into the theater, Phil pops out at her from a closet. <laughs> they kiss and make up, and as Maureen re-enters the theater, Phil uses the restroom. In the restroom, Phil enters a stall and hears strange whispering in the stall next to him. As he gets closer to the wall to hear what's being said, a large penis... <laughs> <laughs> I knew that's where you were going with this. I know. I'll, I'll I was like, I was like he's laughing because he's thinking of Scary Movie too. Yeah, exactly. Oh, sorry, Scary oh. Movie. Yeah, uh, oh, see, season two, uh, episode yeah. two. You know what, it's getting confusing. A large knife is rammed through the stall divider and right into Phil's ear. It is Ghostface. Phil falls to the ground, bleeding out on the bathroom floor. Ghostface proceeds to enter the screening wearing Phil's jacket and sits beside Maureen, who thinks it's Phil trying to scare her before finding blood on his jacket. As Casey begins being stabbed by Ghostface in the movie, Ghostface stabs Maureen. Maureen gets up and begins stumbling into the aisles through the audience as Ghostface continues to stab her. The audience is clearly mistaking this for a publicity stunt until Maureen makes her way to the platform in front of the movie screen. Everyone looks up at her in shock as she lets out a blood-curdling scream and drops dead. Title card, scream, two. Yes! (laughs) And we are into it. And um, camera three, go. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie uh, obviously was released very quickly not obviously was released quickly um after the enormous success of scream one but almost Mm -hmm. to the point where like scream (laughs) scream one was still in theaters when scream two was already being filmed like (laughs) this this happened at like lightning speed kevin williamson was you know writing his little gay ass off like Trying to mm-hmm. trying to write us the story, and um, this is the opening scene we got. We got. What do you think yeah. of that? I think that, like you said, because this was so like you know rushed and put together, I do still think that they um, put in the attention where they felt the attention was needed. Because I yeah. feel that this opening sequence is probably the strongest moment of the film. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's super iconic. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think so. As far as like, I do too. You know, slasher movies go. I mean, everybody knows the movie theater scene. Like, like, what yeah. do you th- what do you think compared to like Casey Becker versus the Maureen uh, Evans? Evans. Like, I moment. I think that the um, first movie the opening with drew barrymore of course iconic um i think is more recognizable but i do not think that screen two in any way should be looked at as number two when it comes to the opening sequences because i really think this is the standard that's been set for then scream three and scream four and probably scream five 
Exactly, because now like people are are like they know going into a scream film that the and the series, the series into the same thing where it was like the opening is going to be a moment. Like yeah. Like we had a, we it could have been just a, a fluke the first time. They could have gone a different direction with it. Like Kevin Williamson could have, you know, take this a completely different and just started us off with Sydney. But no, now it's become a staple that the opening moment of a scream film slash show has to be something big. And um, mm-hmm. I think that this is this really delivers here. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think that uh, the inclusion of Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps as the opening um, it's one of those things that they changed in you know pre-production because Maureen and Phil were just going to be another couple of white kids Rebecca Gayhart was even had read for Maureen in the auditioning process right um, right right can you imagine <laughs> <laughs> oh I don't want to see stab <laughs> yeah Sandra Bullock's playing down the street <laughs> <laughs> But I think that what this movie does really well is it took the things in Scream that not just the movie criticized, but now that the audience has criticized. Totally. Um, like, and and even that reflects in the beginning when, you know, uh, Maureen is talking about the exclusion of black people in horror cinema. No, absolutely. And uh, we, we get some commentary there right away. I mean... Jada, she has this great monologue, which uh, great. you quote yeah. all the time uh, with one of our favorite lines ever. It's a dumbass white movie about a bunch of dumbass white girls getting their white asses cut the fuck up. And she's right. right. That is what sla- the, that has made slasher what it is. I mean, yeah, not not. I mean, again, not that that's like we're celebrating that, but I'm just saying, like, she calls it like it is. Yeah, and so uh, we already have our sort of meta moment going in here, where we, you know, we're referring to the horror genre again, just like in Scream One. That was the whole premise of the mm-hmm. first one, and right away we we get another meta moment. We have a character talking about her place in in this world. You know, maybe yeah. not necessarily knowing she's in it, but she knows that this is her place, and. Um, it's it's just such an interesting way to start off, you know. Yeah. Keep keeping that theme going of the meta and uh, always commenting on the genre, on its tropes, but as well as its uh, its mis its misfortunes. Yeah. In a way, I almost think that this can very much appeal to a modern audience because I know that now yeah. somebody who maybe is a young teenager or a preteen or something who's getting into horror probably will watch Scream and be like, it's so 90s or it's so, um, it's just like every other horror movie, you know? Because at this point, yeah. sure, when you watch it after all those copycats that came after it, it's like, yeah, of course. Uh, but I think that Scream 2 kind of flips that on its head where it's like, um, you're watching basically a redo of what Kevin Williamson wrote into the first Scream, and this yeah. time you're in the audience's perspective, like watching people on the movie in the movie criticize the movie that we watched before this movie. Yeah, you know, it's like it's so weird. <laughs> it's like hard to even explain. It's like Inception. It's like a movie within a movie. Yes. <laughs> Because we can you imagine what it would have been like to see this in movie theaters, where you're sitting in the movie theater watching Jada in the movie theater, watch yeah, a movie. 
sometimes I think about this often and I don't know, this is sort of a random tangent, but I think about like, there are so many actors in the world, actresses in the world. And you know, there's like big iconic moments in movies, like how they could be different if just somebody else played them. Um, I, and so it's really interesting to see almost, I mean, obviously there's, they've taken their liberties as they do in real life, obviously in, in movies when they're telling a true story, you're never going to get the facts all the way correct because no, you weren't there. The, you know, the, there has to be a dramatic flair to it for audiences yeah. and everything. I mean, in, right? in Stab, they totally just ignored that Steve Orth existed. Uh, Casey's boyfriend existed. His death yeah. went in vain. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think it's so interesting seeing like a very similar scene to the one we saw in the first movie played out by a completely different actress and just seeing how you know strong drew barrymore is <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah absolutely and uh you know just seeing somebody else's take on it and you're like oh wow is it the performance that made it so so iconic and so totally what it totally. was it could be but um it, it, it you even know heather graham to... does her her part but i think she, i feel like yeah. she's playing she's playing it up because it is supposed to be a dramatized version of what we saw it actually happen in the first yes film. Right, exactly. Oh, this you movie know, I is don't so even good. know you, and I dislike you already. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently becomes an iconic line in the uh, Scream universe because they all, yeah. or sorry, in the Stab universe because. Ooh, see, bitch, I don't. It's so confusing. I guess in the Scream universe, yeah, where the Stab movies exist because at the Stabathon in Scream Four, the they all chant that line along with yeah. her when uh, she I says know. I don't even like you but, or I didn't even know you but I just like you already and they're all yeah so yeah you know and and like you're saying the same could be said for this movie um, like Jada Pinkett Smith as Maureen kills it yeah. when I watch yeah. it I, I'm, I'm excited every time I see the scene Rebecca Gayhart as Maureen no probably probably wouldn't have delivered I you know as uh as such as an, a performance as Jada gives no. <laughs> yeah no and no no way in in hell um <laughs> do you think that with okay scream one you know it's terrifying like I think if I've heard you of actually it. think about it as a if you <laughs> if you actually think about it as a real story like it's pretty fucking tragic and very yeah. traumatizing for the heroine of the story uh, Sydney right. do you think that if a book was written about it if you know a documentary is made about it and I thought about this also when I watched the Night Stalker documentary I'm like do you think that this story is being treated <laughs> I mean, obviously it's a movie, like, but do you think a story like this would be treated with that much carelessness? Like it's being uh, may, <laughs> maybe in the nineties, it's maybe. being marketed as a cheap slasher flick, but it's literally yeah. like a biopic. Right. Which is, yeah, which is, yeah, really interesting because yeah, if Gail Weathers wrote a book about <laughs> these like true life events and then they just turn it into a slasher film, I guess it's sort of the same thing as like, how the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is based on a true story, but yeah. that's like an, I feel like an amalgamation of like several different stories, right? Correct, yeah, or something like that. And so they they it's it's still able to be a little um, abstract where you can take liberties with it. But I feel like this, if she wrote a book about these specific people, 
Yeah. They're like, why would it be translated into a <laughs> slasher movie? <laughs> I think and then they're like, oh my God, more... this is a true story that happened. But it's like... We don't see the... enough of Stab either to like really yeah. make it out. But the way they're, they're, this screening is going, I kind of can tell what the movie's well, about. Well, the way the screening is going, it looks like it's Scream. It looks like a fun it's, slasher movie. Sure. Um, it looks like a movie like Scream, which to us in this universe is a slasher movie in yeah. their universe this is a dr- this is a true story biopic yeah okay so i am thinking of um like the zodiac movie like the zodiac movie it's a true story the way they filmed the murders in the 2007 version right. of jake gyllenhaal was sort of slasherish and i'm was thinking it? if i were i haven't seen that movie yeah. in a long time yeah, like the like the opening kills and then the kills um, in Napa. They're like very like intense, like slasher. You see the knife going in, and but the way it's done is so you know dramatic. Of course, that it's not fun. You're like not a... going to watch this and hear people cheering for the woman <laughs> yeah. being murdered. <laughs> yeah, I know it, it's yeah, it's so interesting because there is like a respect. That goes into yeah. movies about real people being murdered that this movie has no respect for. I don't know what Robert Rodriguez was thinking when he directed this film. <laughs> oh my god, I know. Well, you know, Robert Rodriguez was actually approached to direct Scream 2. And really? I think he did I think he actually directed the stab scenes. I, I think so too. I I, th- I don't think that's ever been confirmed, think... but I think they said right. yes, that was it. But, um, yeah, they wanted him to direct the entire screen, too. And due to his, no. I guess he had some sort of, right, okay, I guess he had they. some sort of connection to Wes Craven to where he was like, no, like, I'm not going to disrespect someone's franchise. Like, it hasn't even been offered to him yet. So, like, you know, if he yeah, turns it down, maybe, but <laughs> I can't picture that. So, um, we have our first uh, murders. Um, so, our first one is Phil Stevens. And uh, Phil Stevens is, uh, he kind of goes out in a, in what has now been spoofed in a very hilarious way as we laughed about the synopsis. Yeah. Uh, but this scene, this first kill is logistically reaching. a little, little reaching. <laughs> so he, yeah, he like goes into the bathroom and he uh, goes into the stall and he hears like this like whispering next door. And you're like, what the fuck is this? This is a little little girl. Like, somebody saying mommy. Like, what is happening? Yeah. He, like, puts his ear up to the to the wall of the stall and just gets stabbed through the ear in the ex- right through his head, obviously. Like, how... I have to say, this is a little stupid. Like, it's almost... It's just as dumb as seeing Ghostface in the supermarket in Scream 1. Like, yeah. this is the one fault of this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, oh, what? Like, he was able, he knew his head was going to be right there and was able to... Okay, oh, my God. If I try to stab a knife through one of those walls, oh, my God, I'd probably, like, sprain my wrist. The knife would, like... To have that perfectly planned, perfectly aimed, like, you were hoping that he leaned into <laughs> the stall wall... Like, I wouldn't have. And I don't think Phil Stevens would have either, but hey. No. Yeah, I would have been like, ew, and then walked out and, like, did my business, flushed the toilet. I would have been like, I'm hurry up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and then what would have happened? You know, so this is is a very... 
it's yeah. shocking when you watch it, but you're like, is this possible? I, this is yeah. one of those things that appeals to simple audiences. Right. I mean, thank God nobody like passed gas next door. Maybe he would have looked over the stall. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello? <laughs> yeah. Are you that curious about what's going on in the stall next to you? <laughs> yeah, I don't like this. Um, I don't I don't like this death scene. But then we get to back into the movie theater where Miss Jada honestly rocking that do like nobody's motherfucking business. She oh, looks yeah. so good. Practically bald. Yeah, I love I her it. look in this. Um, she looks like she's really being stabbed to death. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, does she? Girl, every vein is popping out her neck and her head. She oh, yeah. is... Uh, well, before before this, we have some amazing commentary from her while watching the movie, which oh, is great. I mean... that is also something that we've talked about before, especially after watching, like, horror noir, and we learned a lot oh, about... Yeah. Um, not all, you know, obviously not everything, but we had a, a, a slight education on on the black experience in horror films and what it's like uh-huh. to to go through trauma and uh you know from what we learn like black people don't stick around for for the nonsense like right they're not gonna, they're not gonna so her screaming at the screen is something that i think people obviously do a lot but yeah. um having her do it as sort of a social commentary on she's like she's like I wouldn't be caught dead in this situation (laughs) right yeah I've learned to have to protect myself and know when shit is going wrong I'm out of there right I gotta think think about me and uh, I think that's a brilliant commentary and that's why all the black people that die in the Scream franchise which is only in this movie uh, oh, and and, yeah. and three, um, oh, yeah. they die in uh, in this movie particularly. They die trying to get out of there. Like they, Phil Stevens yeah. and Maureen Evans, they're in public, so they don't think anything's gonna happen. And then when Hallie dies later, that she's like, "I'm leaving." Joel <laughs> yeah. leaves. Like, yeah, they <laughs> all they never put themselves in compromising positions ever. That's true. They're like, I like black people don't stay around for these situations. We get the hell out of the way. You're stupid enough to keep to keep pursuing this and stick around. They're like, no, 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 not us. And, like, uh, I'm not here to find a killer. I'm here to yeah. Yeah, do a job, and I'm out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so then we get to uh, her being stabbed, which uh, which is actually like pretty frightening. This idea that yeah. like you're in a crowd of people, you are in public. Like this should be the safest place you can be. Yeah, in 1997. Now we're sure. all scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. But this should be the safest place you can be to not be to be uh, anonymously murdered. Like, but right. I mean, first of all, I don't think that there's no way that these these people, everybody, would be allowed to wear these masks. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe not. It's like hard. There's to say. no way you can't even take big fake plastic swords when you're in elementary school to be part of your Aladdin outfit like it's yeah so it, ridiculous you definitely wouldn't be able to have any weapons or anything yeah, like, like that these like fake knives and stuff like that and so then she she just gets stabbed and she gets stabbed like a lot in front of all these people and it's who pretty are, brutal yeah like and people are getting sprayed with blood and they're kind of like wait what is this is this real nobody knows what's real in this situation because it, 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 it there's so much chaos going on in this movie theater people are screaming and 
kill, 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 and like stabbing to running through the aisles, throwing popcorn, and they, and apparently everybody thought it was a publicity stunt. They thought it was just a part of the show. I would, I honestly, I probably would too. I'd be like, oh. Wow, this is crazy. I, I think I would too, but I would keep. I would have kept. I would have been fixated. I would have been like, "What the hell is going on?" I'm like, wait, I, I'm waiting for the joke, the punchline. Yeah. But then it yeah. never happens, and she just gets on stage and drops dead in front of everybody. And they, by the time she gets up there, they know this isn't a joke. Right? Yeah, because she's all. <laughs> it's a growl. She's like a, yeah. a, ter- a pterodactyl flew into yeah. the movie theater at that moment <laughs> yeah. and just screeched. She, it's blood curdling. Like it's coming from the gut. Yeah. And then she just boom, boom. I like how she like, it's like one, two. And then like how she falls. Like, gong, yeah. Gong. Boom. Knees back. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Pose. <laughs> yeah. Pose. Hold that pose for <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, this is scary. This is horrible. And and yeah. her face, that transition of being alive and in pain to just vacant and dead is she does a good job. Yeah, she did she did what needed to be done. She did what needed to be done. <laughs> finger clap, blink, finger clap. Yeah, finger clap, finger clap. Oh, and then just this, as this is happening, I thought this was really smart too. Is as Casey and Stab is being murdered, oh, Maureen yeah. is also being murdered. So they kind of do these like takes to the movie and to her and to moving to her, just sort of letting us know like it's happening again. Her death scene in Stab is way more elaborate. She was in a tree already. She's like, getting stabbed. she's like, he's like. Putting her in the suplex, like she's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's uh, just I don't know, uh, hanging off an oak tree, just getting stabbed to death. I was like, wow, this is way more. Is that what's happening to her? I, oh, I thought yeah, I thought he had her from behind. No, is she hanging from the tree already. She's over her. He's hovering over her. She's not hanging from the tree, but she's laid over a tree, like it's like a cradled tree. <laughs> so she's like in the middle of the tree, and the branches are coming out behind her. Oh, and he's it, over her, stabbing. Yeah, and he's all spank your little bottom. <laughs> <laughs> you over my knee. I do want to give a shout out that this is the worst title card of the <laughs> franchise. Um. It's that number two girl and that lipstick font ain't the business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whoop whoop. Yeah. But I, but I do have to say, if you follow our journey, you will hear that the opening uh, score of Scream was our uh, season one opener to Fear the Talking Queers. And then the season two sound effects of the title card in Scream 2 are in our intro for Fear the Talking Queers season two. Ooh, little Easter egg for ya. Yep, and in season three, it'll be Scream 3. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert. The following day, we are reintroduced to Sydney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell. She wakes up in her dorm room to her ringing telephone. She answers, and it is Ghostface. Sydney grabs her caller ID and reveals it's just a prank caller. Corey Gillis, 555-0176. Nice try, Corey. (laughs) Hot flash, Corey. (laughs) Oh, that's what it is. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I saw a meme the other day. I was like, if you, like, what is that? Like, everybody who's a Scream fan knows this phone number by heart. 
Oh yeah, and Corey like, Gillis. Five 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 oh one seven six. Yeah. Hot flash, Corey. <laughs> Prank calls are a criminal offense. <laughs> <the> penal code. <laughs> 69. <laughs> 69, 69, 420. Call me! <laughs> <laughs> As Sydney gets ready to hit the showers, she notices her TV broadcasting an interview with Cotton Weary, played by Liev Schreiber, who is attempting to gain fame for his exoneration for the murder of Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott. Sydney's. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, you want to go to Sidney's? They got <laughs> the bomb ass pancakes. That moon's over my hammy. <laughs> Sydney's focus on the interview is interrupted by her friend and roommate Hallie, played by Elise Neal, who is attempting once again to have a stubborn Sydney pledge a sorority with her. Suddenly, a student runs up to them from the hallway, telling them to turn on the news. <laughs> Oh my god, turn on the news. <laughs> they turn on the news and see coverage of the murders at the stab screening. <laughs> now turn on the news! <laughs> I can't wait to get to that. <laughs> now turn on the news! <laughs> and we're gonna go down to the river! <laughs> it is then revealed to Sydney that victims Maureen and Phil were also attending Windsor College. Freaked out, Sydney leaves to find Randy, who is in film theory class. In Randy's class, the students include Cece, played by Sarah Michelle Geller, and Mickey, played by Timothy Oliphant. Also, Joshua Jackson randomly, and he has oh, no yes. other scene in this movie. Yeah, it doesn't even have a name. I mean, yeah, no. The class discuss the murders, being directly influenced by the stab movie, theorizing that someone is making a real life sequel. The students begin to discuss the idea that sequels are inferior films, and Randy notices Sydney waiting for him outside the class. Randy tries to assure Sydney the murders have nothing to do with Woodsboro, but Sydney isn't convinced. They are interrupted by Sydney's new boyfriend, Derek, played by Jerry O'Connell, who rushes to her side to make sure she's okay. He's never looked better, by the way. Um, never, ever. The news media descend on Woods... Fucking... I am said Woodsboro College. Woodsboro High School. <laughs> <laughs> Woodsboro Community College. <laughs> Where you can become a dental hygienist in just two months. <laughs> yes, what are you doing? I see you sitting there watching Maury. <laughs> yeah, get up off that couch, I see you watching couch, 100% bitch. Cotton. <laughs> There's a career waiting for you. It's out there. All you have to do is pick up the phone. <laughs> The news media descend on Windsor College as the chief of police, played by Louis Arquette, gets ready to host a press conference. Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox, is on the scene with her new cameraman, Joel, played by Dwayne Martin. The only smart uh, character in this movie. Literally. Gail soon finds she's on both sides of the news when she's approached by local reporter Debbie Salt, played by Lori Metcalf, local woman. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie asks Gail's position on violence in the media as Stab is based on Gail's best-selling book, The Woodsboro Murders. Gail insults Debbie and shoos her away. As Sydney, Randy, Derek, Hallie, and Mickey watch on as the press conference begins, Sydney notices Dewey Riley, played by David Arquette, in the distance. Dewey came to visit Sydney as soon as he heard about the murders. He says he will stick around to make sure she's okay. Sydney is then approached by Gail, who attempts to stage a confrontation between Sydney and Cotton Weary. When Gail tries to force Sydney to participate, Sydney backhands her. 
When the crowd clears out, Dewey and Gale come face to face in an awkward confrontation. Dewey expresses his disgust with the shady portrayal of his incompetence in Gale's mediocre book. Nothing like a funeral to bring a family together. Right, exactly. I do like the way this um, whole section starts with uh, the prank call to Sydney using the killer's voice, which I guess they sell these voice changers just about anywhere. <laughs> I guess so. How did this person get it? I don't know, but um, this is a direct statement of the follow-up to Scream 1. After Scream came out in 1996, um, I think caller ID sales went up like a staggering amount. Like yeah, it was like, like 90% by, like, or, or 60. Yeah. I think it was 60%. Somewhere between like 80 and 90, I Something think. It was like, like 600 and... 4,500%. Right. Like 525,000. 600%. Um, yeah, it uh it went up a lot. So I like that that was written <laughs> It was written right into the script there that yeah, now Sydney is smart enough to have caller ID. Yeah, she's like, why I'm so stupid? Why didn't I have it then? Yeah, um, and Corey Gillis tried it, and she said, "Not no, bitch, not today." I have a question, um, bitch. In what universe are dorms this nice? This mansion she lives in, right? I'm that like, this is, bitch uh, live on Melrose Place. She does not <laughs> live in a dorm. At a yeah, college. what is this? I don't know how she fucking. Yeah, this is insane. Like, I think we talked about this in the Urban Legend episode. We're like, don't they usually look like jail cells? Like, how does she live in such a nice house? Sydney's, she's spoiled and rich. Yeah, she's spoiled rotten. But you know what? Maybe those are all her royalties from selling her story. I mean, her family has money. Look where her dad lived. Uh, That's true. So maybe maybe this is like off-campus. No, it's not off-campus housing. It's the dorms because... They show the people outside going yeah. to class and stuff. Yeah. And the other girl running up to her. So she doesn't live in like yeah. off camp. I'm like, housing. aren't you guys already in a sorority? Because this house is nice. It li- Yeah. It literally looks like she's already in a sorority house. Right. One of my favorite things about this is when she goes, uh, you know, you need a sorority, like the sisterhood and da da da. And she, uh, Sydney goes, I'm, I'm fine. fine. And she's like, I'm fine. I, like, I know you're fine. I'm fine to stretch tightly across your face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Turn on the news. <laughs> yeah. So we had that girl. She was, she was like, I have one line and I'm going to make it count. So we're like meeting our characters. We're meeting our new cast. So we're, we're getting our oldies. We got, you know, Sydney, and then we're meeting her new friends. They're sort of filling the, the void of her, her friends that got murdered in the first one. Right, so, Tatum. Yeah, Hallie is the new Tatum, we assume. Her her little bestie, her rock. This person yeah. who has, like, of course, everybody's so concerned about Sydney all the time. Yeah, all- and luckily, Hallie is studying uh, psychology, so perfect yeah good she has her own little therapist at her disposal do you think hallie knew about this yeah she would do you think hallie was assigned to her i feel like sometimes like hallie's like her <laughs> friend that, that somebody like like was like you have to stick with sydney because she has a lot of um drama issues yeah she clearly knows all about her trauma because as soon as they turn on the news and they hear that maureen and phil have been murdered in the audience of stab and 
you know, Hallie instantly recognizes, too, that this is a pretty serious situation to Sydney. Yeah, she's like, come on, Sydney, turn that off. That's this, exactly uh, what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then they, they learn that people have been murdered at the stab premiere. And, you know, like anybody would who's gone through what Sydney has, she's a little triggered. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, uh. And then we also find out that Cotton um, is on the loose and he is ah, on, on a one-man tour to clear his name. And uh, so he's on the Kevin Williamson show selling his story. Yes, yes. Kevin Williamson, the the writer of this film, has a little cameo. Yeah, good for him. It was his turn to shine. Yeah, and so he, uh, so Sydney goes out. She's like, "Oh my god, Randy!" So then we have this this scene in um, (laughs) this film theory class. I guess they don't do actual work; they just sit around and shoot the shit. Which yeah. uh, doesn't sound correct. Doesn't sound like that's something that would actually happen in the class. But why not? Maybe no. they're they're like, we're gonna take the day off. This is traumatizing for us. Yeah, the teacher was like, we're gonna we're gonna um, discuss the uh, murders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this how they relate to the movie. This yeah, is this film was on theory, the, isn't this, it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was on the curriculum. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, clearly it was because they have stab posters on campus. So. They were waiting I mean, for this movie to come out. They were very ready. I don't know if that... Maybe it's just... For some reason, it's the most anticipated movie in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to live in that world where a slasher movie is that... Uh, that famous. Well, yeah. honestly, Stab, the movie, is probably the most marketed film in movie history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not even a real movie, and I literally have, look, merchandise with Stab Oh, on it. my God. It's what like, the fuck is that? Stab is a huge deal. There's is been that people that... Is that the Woodsboro Murders? It's a journal. No, I have the two. Look. What the hell? What's in that? Gail Weathers. After <laughs> blank pages. It's... I get... I'm Gail. Was it a prop? I know, I'm Gail. I'm Gail. <laughs> no wonder he said that book was mediocre. There's nothing in it. <laughs> um yeah so i mean they were ready for this movie but here we get where we realize that scream one was a hot ticket to be in the sequel for this like oh my god everyone was auditioning everyone was ready they got and you know sarah michelle geller was in the midst of buffy fame like there was we have Joshua but Jackson she was like I'm gonna come and I'm gonna do Scream 2 absolutely yeah she's like absolutely she loves it I know I've read before that she like loves it. she's like if I'm gonna be in a horror movie I wanna die she's like I don't wanna live that's boring I know so she lived she, in the grudge do you think uh, she yeah. was like please kill me off yeah I mean <laughs> yeah then she did the sequel she's like okay fine I'll do the sequel but you gotta kill me in the first five minutes <laughs> right I'm busy I'm Buffy yeah exactly I'm Buffy and so she uh so we meet <laughs> Cece who um, she was like a sorority girl slash film student. I'm like, okay, work. It's uh, everything I want to be. And um, <laughs> then we meet Mickey, uh, played by Timothy Oliphant, with that with this like electrocuted hairstyle. Oh my um, god! Honestly, you know you were saying Jerry O'Connell. This is the best he's ever looked. I also yeah. think Jamie Kennedy. This is the best he's ever looked. Oh, with but go to um, Timothy. Yeah, this Timothy is the worst Oliphant. he's ever looked. Oh. Who? Timothy. Oh, Timothy. Old- yes, he, he. this is the worst he's ever looked. He looks so much hotter now that he's like older oh, and distinguished. He is so hot now. In Santa Clarita Diet, like, I want to yes. take a fucking bite 
out of him. Yes, sex. Like, I want to bite his butt cheeks and lick yes. that ball's egg. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yeah, he's so hot. So they have, they're having this discussion about sequels, which is so interesting that this movie mm-hmm. is obviously a sequel, but Stab is not a sequel. No. Stab right. is the original, so it's so funny that there's so much sequel talk when the like, first do you think the, someone's trying to create a real life sequel and it's like to a, wow. the movie had, that movie hasn't even come out yet <laughs> like well honestly that's how scream 2 came about <laughs> that's that's true that's true there's like see the meta is still here so they're having this discussion about sequels and um they so they're already establishing there's a little bit of meta here uh right Ran, then randy and sydney have their first you know rec, you know reunion on screen for us and he he gives some really annoying uh ad-libbing apparently with his weird british accent that he throws in like i i think weird he was, choice. i think he was on a little bit of drugs <laughs> at the time uh, yeah maybe just a little i mean you know scream one was he was obviously like riding a wave so yeah why not, totally why not smoke a little crack <laughs> smoke a little dick <laughs> smoke a little crack <laughs> and um yeah so he's still obviously pining after sydney and then we have the introduction of derek and derek is sydney's new hunk of dola boyfriend which i'm like yes. i can't believe that she would ever have another boyfriend I, I wrote that in my notes i'm like how could she move on so quickly <laughs> after billy i mean what a dream I'm sure she's still heartbroken over losing him. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but um, this, but Derek seems he's like the the opposite, right? He's like, oh yeah, he's clean. He has a future. Cut. He's yeah. He's promising. He's um, a promising young man. He's a promising young man. (laughs) Let's hope hope not. Let's hope not. (laughs) Um, But he. no, yeah, he seems like he has his shit together, and he's somebody mm-hmm. that, again, Sydney needs a support system, obviously. She can't yeah. go through this on her own. And, so, and as far as we know, this is literally the only person Sydney's ever been in love with. I know, that's true. Yeah, this is her true love. Yeah, because she's wearing those same Greek letters that he gives her later in the film in Scream 3, and then in Scream 4, she's still not with anybody, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was only Derek. Oh, that's sweet. I know. I think I love you. I think that's what did it. Yeah, it was totally <laughs> his soothing singing voice. <laughs> Won her over. <laughs> um, so she's got a new man. Uh, as soon as he shows up, her demeanor changes. Wait, Thank wait you. a minute. Oh. Wait, we have to comment on how humble Sydney has stayed through all of this. Oh because yeah. Because she tells Randy, she's like. Uh, Randy's like this. This has nothing to do with us, and she's like, Randy, a guy in a ghost mask hacked up two kids in a theater telling our life story. I'm like, he's probably not even in it, Sid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody's even cast as him. I know he gets Joe Blow, nobody or whatever. Yeah, but like Sydney is the hot commodity. Like, yeah, girl, she's the take star. your credit. Yeah. I think it's so interesting too that this movie makes a big deal about Sydney. I guess that's not true. Kind later, of. Yeah. Later on, later on in the franchise, Sydney is idolized instead of the actress who instead of Tori Spelling. Yeah. It's so well, interesting well, cuz 
even in, I feel like this movie, because this is like when it's still fresh, so the book is hot. Oh, there's probably tons of news specials about it, like on Dateline. I just just thought it's so interesting that she's the focus instead of, I don't know, the actress who's playing Sydney for the movie. I don't know. Tori Spelling. Yeah, Tori Spelling. (laughs) I know. So well, I don't know. I don't know why that would be, but um, I love it, and I, I because it plays into one of the scenes that we didn't write in this to the synopsis, which was um, Sister Lois and Sister Murphy of Delta Lambda Zeta coming up and being kind of starstruck by Sydney, like we are here for you, Sydney, like you yeah, know, trying to get some clout. Yeah, they are. They are. They're trying to get some name recognition in their sorority, and who better than that bitch that and got stabbed too? <laughs> that got almost <laughs> murdered, and all our friends butchered in California yeah. la- a year ago. <laughs> yeah, let's be best friends with her because if something else happens, they're gonna make another sequel, and we get to be stars in it. <laughs> oh my god, we literally are Sister Lois and Sister Murphy. <laughs> yeah, like I planned this out in my head plenty of times. I'm like, wow, she's tragic. I'm gonna be her friend. Yeah, because they ever make a movie, <laughs> right? And so then we uh, we have the reintroduction of Gail Weathers rocking the chunkiest red highlights you did ever see. Girl, she's practically wearing a red wig (laughs) (laughs) over a black one. But to be honest, this is my favorite look of all. Oh, of all four. Of all four. She looks so... This is the most hard she looks. Yes, she looks cold. She cold. Like, her dress is sleek and black. Her eyes are piercing blue. Yeah. Like, she got... She just looks... I don't know. She just looks so hard and badass. I love it. And I'll take the chunky And her outfit... Her styles change. She's she's no longer wearing these neon uh, eyesore colors. She's now wearing sleek, <laughs> sleek black. Um, and le- she's a, she's yeah. serious now. She's not she's wearing serious. a leopard print headband from Claire's. <laughs> I know. I love that in the first one, she's sort of this cheesy tabloid journalist, um, but then ends up being like like the next Diane Sawyer, the next Barbara Walters, yeah. like where she's like. But she's cutthroat. Yeah, she's cutthroat. She knows the, she asks the hard hitting questions. Yeah, she's no nonsense, and she has uh, <laughs> we, uh, and that's when she has her first run in with Debbie Salt, fucking Debbie Salt, played by Lori Metcalf, a gift to us. Truly, I, the gem of this movie. Yeah, honestly, like just, I mean, most movies she's in. I mean, Lori Metcalf is just incredible. She's just an incredible actress. She is, and. You know, I love her and Roseanne. (laughs) Bitch, you and I—I just Joey's rewatching *Desperate Housewives*. She literally, she literally plays uh, Mrs. Loomis again. She has a scene where she holds up a uh, a grocery store with a gun. Like she's like her like her husband cheats on her or something like that. She goes crazy and she holds up like all the all the characters in a grocery store, and she's full on manic Mrs. Mrs. Loomis. Like I, and I was like I was like oh my god I was like this is crazy I was like she is like she's like I've done this before I got it yeah give me the gun but um so we get Debbie Salt who's this uh, local reporter who uh, seems to have like a she's like challenging Gail a lot she like wants she's obviously like trying to get close to her somehow she wants to be on the same level as her but she'll yeah. never be Gail Weathers. She was like, I was in your, I was in your, I was in your seminar um, last summer. I was in one of the front row asking all the questions. <laughs> I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> 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 um, so then, uh, 
you know, everybody comes together. We even get Dewey again. Dewey's just, he's lost in this first shot. Like, just wandering around by himself, confused. Bless him. I kind of do like um, Dewey's reason for being around. Like, obviously, it's to be a suspect, of course, but also just to be the surrogate big brother, as Sydney describes him. You know, like, he's he's lost his little sister, but, you know, in the process, he had somewhat to do with, I guess, Sydney surviving the first movie. Right. Not and they really. were so close. Like, Sydney's probably, she was always, like, a little sister to him anyways. Yeah, of course, especially because she had this broken family life. Um, so, yeah, I love that he's there for her during this. Like, I couldn't save my sister, so maybe I'll be able to save... Sydney. Yeah, absolutely. And so then we have uh, Dewey and Gale. I wonder if they always knew that they were going to have Dewey and Gale be this like epic love story that it's become. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I know. Uh, I, did, I don't think that was ever the idea because Dewey was supposed to be thought to have died in the first yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. So now that they brought Dewey back and they were like, oh, I just got stabbed and I have a severed nerve in my back. Yeah. So I limp like a limpy man and they uh <laughs> the, cr- the crooked man <laughs> the crooked man the crooked man <laughs> and um <laughs> yeah but they start like building that like Dewey and Gale continued their relationship and it just like was not working out it must have been just from them getting together after the first movie and then it's like trauma it's like trauma like shared trauma bringing yeah. people together when it obviously like that's not a good enough excuse to to uh, to be together. So um, obviously it didn't yeah, work seriously. out. And also she's uh, she had a career to follow. She had a career to follow, and she also used him in a way. She she used him as a technical goofy, advisor. A, a technical advisor. No, but she used him in her book to as like a goofy, oh. stupid character, like a Barney Fifeish type character. Yeah. Not not specifically to embarrass him, but to probably add what comedic value to her book or something. Like his, he, he makes it sound like his portrayal in the Woodsboro Murders was the portrayal of Doofy in Scary Movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does sound like he he wasn't portrayed very in a very positive light. Positive, would, yeah, yeah, not as a strong hero, but but a, definitely a weak a weak individual, which a he was. Life. I mean, he, he would is. get punked by Tatum. Like, he, <laughs> I think he, in this movie he's finding his voice though, so he's like, I'm going to stand up to her now that I'm looking at her. Right, right, right. Oh, we we can't we can't forget about we this. Can't moment. forget Cotton. Oh my God! So Cotton Weir, so Liam Schreiber, who had a very minuscule part in the first film. Literally, Literally. I you would never even know he was in the movie. But he is for yep. 0.5 seconds. And uh, he is also a clout chaser. This movie should just be called Scream 2 Clout Chasers. Yeah. And so he shows up and he's like, oh, I want to do an interview with Sydney for my, because he's like obsessed with like having 15 minutes of fame. Like he just yeah. wants, he feels like he's owed it after the uh, the debacle. He's, he's definitely taking advantage of the sensation that has become, yeah. that's come from the Woodsboro murders. Right, of course. And uh, this does not sit well with Sydney because Gail tries to manipulate this situation and just force her into it. And Sydney was all, you remember what happened last time? 
So she slapped her. And what you didn't see is there's a deleted extended scene where she slaps her. And she goes, bitch, I told you what the fuck I'm about. <laughs> I told you where I, I come from. Bitch, I'm from fucking Woodsboro. I will whoop <laughs> your motherfucking ass. Don't ever sneak up on me with some bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, you teach your ass the first time. <laughs> Didn't I tell you already, bitch? <laughs> and then she pulls Gail's wig off, and it's just yeah. on. <laughs> Allie's over there recording with her camcorder, mm-hmm. screaming "World Star!" And it's like great. <laughs> yeah. Did you get that on film? Yes, I got that on film. Yes, I got that on film. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's uh it's it's very in character for Sydney to totally just lash out violently and punch somebody in the face she's done it before and she'll do it again and i love that about her she's consistent if nothing else i do have to say that this uh extension of cotton weary is uh, really clever i was like wow they didn't have to bring him back you know they never brought patrick dempsey back for scream 4 so they didn't have to continue cotton's (laughs) storyline but i love that they're doing that that's great he could have easily been written off in that interview in the beginning of the movie i like it yeah i think he definitely serves as like a good red herring because totally he he has something to gain from this too revenge he uh you know more notoriety he is obviously affected by the little bit of fame he has and you know sometimes you get greedy and nobody ever said that cotton was a good person that she framed he wasn't like he just happened to not do it right exactly he happened to not actually kill sydney's mom but doesn't mean he was a good person i have to say leah schreiber now also is one of those that is way hotter now than he was then but honestly he's not bad in this either i'm like okay no he's still hot yeah Okay. Yeah, it's not like Timothy Oliphant, which is like, yeah, like total he difference. Grew it, he grew into his, his looks. But Liev... Yummy. Mm, 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 mm. mm. um, I, do, I do also oh. like this, though, too. Sorry, um, back to Gail, is that everything is almost about Gail. Like, she's heavily in the center with the book and the fact that her name is in the credits at the beginning of Stab, you know, Cotton, everyone's opinions about her. She's like in the spotlight. So I do kind of like that there are these different fractions of what's become. There's like Sydney and Dewey who have just, Dewey's still, you know, just a local townie at Woodsboro and Sydney's like, I'm off to college. Meanwhile, Cotton and Gail are over here like trying to be cutthroat, trying to make it in the game. That's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they've sort of created their own, their own way. As, as opposed to like Sydney, who's probably tried to stay out of the spotlight, like Gail and Cotton have embraced it. Like, don't worry, we'll be the face of the franchise. Yeah, you you <laughs> go live your little life. Like, we'll uh we'll be successful off of it. Yeah. Sydney and Hallie attend a party at Delta Lambda Zeta, where Hallie plans to pledge. Along with Hallie, sorority sisters Lois, played by Rebecca Gayhart, and Murphy, played by Portia de Rossi, also try to convince Sydney to pledge Delta Lambda. At a nearby sorority house, Omega Beta Zeta, Cece is home alone on the phone as her sorority is hosting a mixer elsewhere, and she is the sober sister of the night. She receives a phone call on the other line. The caller is Ghostface, who eventually asks her if she wants to die. Cece becomes freaked out and exits the house. She attempts to call campus security, but the landline reception interferes. Ghostface soon attacks, chasing Cece through the house until they end up on the third floor balcony. 
Ghostface stabs her in the back several times, then hoists her off the balcony. (laughs) (laughs) Threw her stun double off. (laughs) You can tell she jumped off that ledge. (laughs) (laughs) Cece falls to her death. At the Delta Lambda party, Lois and Murphy announce something is happening at Omega Beta Zeta and police are everywhere. Hurry! (laughs) (laughs) The partygoers rush out of the party to see what's happening. Gail and Dewey arrive on the scene where Debbie Salt reveals there has been another murder. As Sydney and Derek watch from Delta Lambda, Sydney becomes concerned and they decide to leave. Sydney goes back into the house to grab her coat as Derek waits for her on the porch. The house phone rings and Sydney picks it up. It is Ghostface announcing his return to her life. <laughs> well, hey girl. <laughs> no, literally. Remember the trailer and the marketing? Oh yeah. It's time, girlfriend. It's, yeah, what? <laughs> what the fuck is that? Why would they do that? You better work, girl. <laughs> yeah. Sydney calls the killer a coward and tells them to show their face. <laughs> You're a coward, show your face. <laughs> Ghostface attacks and chases Sydney throughout the house. As she exits through the back door, she runs into Derek, who makes his way into the house to find the killer. Sydney hears Derek struggling as Dewey pops up and also rushes into the house. Dewey finds Derek with his arms sliced open, but Ghostface has disappeared. Ooh, Ooh stealthy. Right. Stealthy, stealthy. All right, so we have Omega Beta Zeta. To me, this is my favorite set piece in the whole movie. I love this sorority house murder nonsense that happens. Um, <laughs> poor Cece. I mean, she is... She don't have anything to do with anything. She's just, she don't have nothing to do with shit. We find out later what, why she was targeted, but yeah. this is just like... She's just a girl in the world. It's, yeah, and so, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar's right there on, on the couch having a conversation with Selma Blair on the phone. <laughs> she had a large pizza all to herself. Yes. Oh, my God. Watching Nosferatu. <laughs> it's yeah. like, she has such goals. See, Yeah, so she's, like, watching TV. She gets this phone call, Omega Beta Zeta. And um, she has, like, this... It's almost like this is the first, like actual recreation of the first scene from the first movie yeah and exactly so with your typical slut slasher setup what'd you call it? this typical slut <laughs> slaughter slash up yeah so ghostface we know we know the drill he likes to play games so he uh he fucks around with her for a while she thinks it's her drunk boyfriend of course. Ted. Ted. He sounds loaded. And, uh, <laughs> and so, Ted, is this you? You sound loaded. Yeah. I like. She's like trying to talk him off the ledge already. Why is she with such a drunk asshole? She seems like so well adjusted. <laughs> she's sober sister. Yeah, she's sober sister. Yeah. Hello. Why would she be with a drunk? Ass- I mean, she probably gets crazy on her on the nights that it's not her watch. And so uh, she kind of goes traipsing around the house. She runs into um, Veronica's mom. From Herm- Riverdale. Hermione Lodge. <laughs> Honestly, she looks so different in she this. Looks, I would have never known it was she, her. She looks like a different human. Like <laughs> totally. Dr. 90210 said, we're going to just redo this. We're just going to redo a couple things. Which is crazy because she wasn't ugly. She was, go- she was no. a pretty girl. But, yeah, but she said we're gonna redo this. So um, 
Also, uh, by the way, Selma Blair's on the phone with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Selma <laughs> Blair. Um, still friend, still BFFs to this day. And that is, I love that. That's the truth. Yeah, they still... Sorority sisters for life. Oh my god, I wonder if they talk about this. They probably don't. They probably, yeah, don't, even, they probably don't even remember that this happened. They're probably like, you were in Scream 2? You were in yeah, Scream 2? Yeah, my too? voice was dubbed over. <laughs> you did that? Yeah. We're literally talking to each other on the phone. You've never seen the movie? No. No. I mean, I don't like scary movies, so. <laughs> As they sip their white wine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and use um, fucking Dawn dish soap or whatever Sarah Michelle's hawking these days. I do have to say that I love Selma Blair's voiceover in this. <laughs> I can't believe you're alone in that house. Yeah. She's like full on like. Like Valley Girl in it, I love it. She's like, yeah, I'll play a, I can play fucking a stupid sorority girl, easy. Okay, but when Cece runs into um, Marisol Nichols, she <laughs> she's like, Nipple. okay, oh it's it, oh, a Ghostface calls again. He's like, it's Ted. He knows what to say now. And she's like, it's your ill-conceived boyfriend. Oh, don't forget to set the alarm. So I'm like, why is this a scary thing? Because then when Cece raises the phone up and he's like, don't forget to set the alarm. She's like so scared that he knows that that was just said. But at the same time, she just the- said it holding the phone. Yeah. She's like, oh like, my God. Is- she like, runs. The music is all dramatic. She's all beep, 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 boop, 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 boop. And she like sets the alarm. <laughs> and then she's- whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> <laughs> And then so she's like feeling, she's feeling safe. She's, uh, you know, she she's kind of like stressed. She's some uh, neck issues or something. And um, Yeah, like Nev Campbell. Yeah, and she walks upstairs and the phone rings again. And she picks up that clear phone. With all oh, the, I love it! With all the sprockets uh, and the spigots and the oh. <laughs> with all the tripping like a scorpion, like <laughs> dude, I love those phones. Yeah, so great. And then she picks it up and goes face out, boo! And he jumps out behind her and then chases her up the stairs, a la Sydney in Scream. Just it's the same moment. Yes, it's the same moment. It's the same moment. They love the same this blocking moment. almost, and because this but, happens again in almost the, every franchise, every movie in this franchise. This scene happens The run up the stairs Which was a comment In the first movie like, Yeah Dumb girls run up the stairs Right And she does she And does. she is kind of stupid But at the same time She's using her resources You know There's a bike on the third floor Landing yeah, Let me she, throw it at him Yeah She tried She fought She didn't fight the fuck carried their bike up there I know Seriously What but yes, she fought sister. hard, but she did not fight as hard as Helen Shivers, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. No, her time is cut short on our screens. Yeah, and she just, she gets, thro- she gets thrown through a glass window. And I always said, I don't know, it's just because I was obsessed with her in this movie. Um, <laughs> I was like, if I ever was in a horror film, I'd want to be thrown through some sort of glass. I always thought that would be like really intense and like cool, like a cool stunt during my chase scene. Was the How about the one like, um... In Scream that. 3. <laughs> no, that one sucks. <laughs> Jenny. Jenny with lipstick on her face. Um, so, yeah. So this is how you would die? Well, I just want to be thrown through glass and then however. I mean, <laughs> how, then how, whatever happens to me afterwards, it's not up to me at that point. <laughs> it's just going to be in my contract that I get thrown through glass. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you're the Pam Greer of the set. Like, <laughs> I'll do the movie, but I'm going to write my own death scene. Thank you yeah, very much. Don't you. fucking touch me. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we lose Sarah Michelle Gellar pretty early on. She gets thrown off the balcony. Somehow she gets thrown facing forward and lands on her back. I don't know. How, <laughs> I don't know how that works, but I guess it's science. Oh, my God. And the damn sound effect. She's like, no. <laughs> Don't want to be in just... a. What is it? What is it? I was not innocent. I was innocent. Innocent. <laughs> <laughs> just like some audio cues you just will never forget. Um, no. I remember Zach Cherry did his breakdown of the Scream one that I referenced a lot in our first Scream episode. Um, and he said that you know you can figure out which which killer is Ghostface based on the things that they do. But then in this movie, we really see that Ghostface is a character of its own. Like, he talks the same. He wipes off the blade the same. Yeah. He raises it over his head the same. He's just a totally separate entity, almost. Then not really a reflection of the actual characters who are supposed to be the killers. Especially because you start filming and you change the ending like a hundred times. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, it could literally be anybody. Like, once you become Ghostface, it's almost like the mask in fucking that Jim Carrey movie. (laughs) You put it on and you just become somebody else. And you're smoking. Yeah, you're smoking. No matter who you are. Yeah. Hey, Pachuca. A Tommy gun. <laughs> you love me. You really love me. <laughs> okay, back at Delta Lambda Zeta. So yeah, um, back- Sid- Sydney's walking through the house and she grabs an hors d'oeuvre and she have you ever noticed this moment she grabs an hors d'oeuvre and she looks at it and she throws it over her shoulder and I don't know if it hits this other girl or what but she the other girl looks over at her and gives her the dirtiest look and this is the first time I've ever noticed it they were planning that moment she's like oh my god I love it she's She's like what the fuck I'm gonna whoop that bitch's ass (laughs) I can't believe she did that she threw a fucking pig in a blanket at me, fucking bitch. <laughs> I think, yeah, she. I love that busy work. I love busy scene work like that. She's like, oh hey. yeah. She's like, oh, when yeah. everyone's involved. Yeah, she's like, mm, I'm gonna. <laughs> what am I gonna do in this scene? I'm just walking. Okay, I have to, how do I make this interesting? Okay, I'm gonna pick up this hors d'oeuvre. I'm gonna look at it. Mm, I'm not gonna like it. I'm gonna throw it over my shoulder because it's a party. Like there's beer everywhere. Who cares? There's like, shit everywhere. Like I love, I love that. That was her. Uh, <laughs> That was Nev Campbell's like scene work in this. Mind. Like, her actor, her actor work in this. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> um, so Ghostface is clumsy because when he comes after Sydney, this is the most ridiculous I think we've he's been in all the movies. He's Drunk. jumping over chairs, falling. Well, this for, makes sense considering wasn't Mickey Mickey, just, Mickey just at the party? He's probably drinking. Had, probably had a few few shots. Some fireball, sambuca. Yeah, some Bud Light. Yeah, some absinthe, moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he probably done a dab or two. Crazy, like he's just mm-hmm. obviously fucked up, and so yeah. Um, so he's like, I'm gonna call her because you know for some reason. So he's like, I'm gonna stand alone in this house, and the phone rings, and she's like, This isn't my house. But I feel entitled to answer the phone. Right. So, <laughs> ring, ring. Hello. And he says, it's time, girlfriend. <laughs> Which, thank God he doesn't. 
Um, a god. No, they they have a little chit chat. He's like, "Hey, bitch, it's me. I'm back." Um, Guess who's back in the house? Yeah, heels click clacking about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, they he they have a chase scene through the house. Um, yeah, he's falling over chairs. He's like, you know, he's a mess. He's a mess. He's a mess. He's not even stabbing people. He's just slashing their arms. Yeah. He slashes Derek's arm. Yeah, slashes Derek's arm. I, but that has to be a calculated move. That's a calculated move on Mickey's part because he knows that he's about to uh, try to frame him later on. Right, right. And he's probably just like, you know what? I'm going to save you for the ending. He has yeah. it all planned out in his yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, I'm gonna, it's like, I'm going to fuck with Sydney by making her... Making Derek a suspect, and it's an obvious choice. I mean, look who her the last killer was, her fucking boyfriend. Right. So it's only exactly. natural she would be on guard about that. She'd be triggered by that. Exactly. So we also in this moment get a setup for a lot of red herrings. Like Gail is kind of very cutthroat. She's telling her cameraman, "Don't fuck with me." Yeah. And then Derek to uh, Dewey. Is like, okay, there's a scene that we did not include in the synopsis, and it's when they're at the hospital and they're cleaning up Derek, oh, yeah. and Sydney, I think, is being called into questioning, and they're all being questioned. And um, Mickey tells, you know, Sydney, who would go back in that house? Yeah, like, he, he's planting seeds. He's like, I gotta. I gotta do what I can. So that's a major red herring there. But like, do I want, obviously I don't remember my first experience watching this, but I'm like, would I have thought that was a red herring back then, or was I would I think he was being honest? Like, I honestly never put this on him. Like, I've I've yeah. never I I honestly didn't even understand this line until I was an adult. Mm, and then yeah. I was like, oh, because I'm like, yeah, who would go back in the house? But I'm like, oh, he's not watching the movie with us, right? Right, right, Got right, it. right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then Derek tells Dewey while he's being cleaned up, um, it's a shame you got there too late. Like implying, like, where the hell were you? Were you the one in the cloak? And then, um, yeah. So we kind of at this point we're kind of starting to get our red herrings, and yeah. we're like, it our could be anybody. Li- yeah, our suspect list is growing. Long. It's long. Well, there's a lot of characters in this movie. There's definitely, definitely a lot more characters. Surprisingly, less gore, I will say, than the first film. There, are, there's no guts. There's no. no, no um, yeah. You're not hanging from no trees. Yeah, no. It's surprisingly less gory, but bigger body count. At the police station, Chief Hartley meets with Gale and Dewey as they try to figure out a pattern for the murders. Hartley writes down the names of three victims, Maureen Evans, Phil Stevens, and Cece Cooper, also known as Casey Cooper. Gale points out that there is a connection in the names of the new victims with the original victims, Maureen Evans, Maureen Prescott, Phil Stevens, Stephen Orth, Casey Becker, Casey Cooper. Gale theorizes that the new ghost face is trying to recreate the Woodsboro murders. Hartley announces he has assigned two officers to bodyguard Sydney. Later, Dewey meets up with Randy at Baskin Robbins while a TV in the shop broadcasts an interview with Tori Spelling, who is revealed to be playing Sydney in Stab. During the interview, a stab clip is shown of Tori acting alongside Luke Wilson playing Billy Loomis. Dewey picks Randy's brain for insight on how horror sequels work in hopes of anticipating Ghostface's next move. Randy explains the rules of sequels. One, the body count is always bigger. Two, the death scenes are more elaborate, and before Randy can continue with number three, Dewey asks how to find the killer. Randy theorizes that the killer is likely somebody Sydney knows. It could be Hallie, Derek, Mickey. 
even Gale. Alright, so this is when this movie gets into some uh, problems, like, script-wise. This whole thing with the names? Uh, it, ridiculous. Well, it's ridiculous because it looks, it seems to be, like, they thought of this idea, Kevin Williamson thought of this idea, and was like, great, we're gonna do this name thing, uh, but then, after this scene, there is no talk of this ever again. It's like this whole concept of them doing this like, oh, they're recreating Woodsboro and these names are corresponding literally falls off the face of the earth. This has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. And so it looks, I don't know if they thought it was stupid or if they just got sidetracked with other things or didn't think it was important, but uh, it just, this, this plot point of these names corresponding it leads nowhere it's a dead end road nowhere it's a dead end because where where else were, were they going to find a principal Henry <laughs> and a, ta- a tatum a tatum channing is he here <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously like come on no um i don't know yeah it's obviously very weak um Especially when this is the only time that it's ever relevant. Yeah, exactly. It looks like... So, it's like, I guess she was reaching. Yeah. <laughs> she was either reaching and they, like, the movie's aware of that, but I honestly think that it was, like, maybe a... a he was re- trying to make this happen. Maybe a rewrite issue, I can feel like. Because, you know, there was rewrites after rewrites. Like, this movie was probably being... I think this movie was being written, like, on the spot, probably. On the spot. The entire ending is different. I mean, we'll get to it. But, yeah, yeah. it was just changing. So, I think that this was something that was left in the film <laughs> that uh, didn't... That maybe had a life in some other draft. But in this one it sort of appears and then never is talked about ever again so a little bit of a waste of our time but I guess it's kind of fun that they did that like Mm -hmm. maybe in a way to justify it is like this is just another tactic of Ghostface to throw them off somehow like I don't know I don't think that's the case I think this is just poor writing yeah totally yeah or like careless uh, editing like they should have changed this up or something but some great writing is that in the first movie when Tatum asks Sydney if they make a movie about your life Sid who's gonna play you and she jokingly says that with her luck Tori Spelling would be cast I love that they wrote that and Tori Spelling is in this and that Tori Spelling has such a sense of humor about herself she she, always does yeah and she's like hell yeah I'll show up and she got to play Sydney for a minute yeah, and she's like, and you know what? I'm not just going to play Sydney. I'm going to be a totally different Sydney bitch. I'm going to give you red hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pin back. Yeah, like, ah, uh, good for her. I'm proud of you, Tori. Yeah, I know. I love that she's in this. Not so, Luke good Wilson. Job, that is all, that's always so funny. Uh, oh, my God. Do you think that he didn't want to be in his scenes for this? <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Tori Spelling sent a picture of herself that uh, <laughs> said, here, you can act with this or whatever. Whatever that fake story we learned from Vacancy. Yeah. Between him that and That fake ass IMDb story. Yeah. Yeah. Don't trust IMDb trivia. We quote yeah. it a lot, but don't listen to us because we are fools and we believe anything. <laughs> yeah. Kate Beckinsale told us herself yeah, that no, that was not true. <laughs> no. Kate Beckinsale told, um, uh, told Cade, Mr. of the Dark, that... Um, <laughs> that shit would never that never happened that she's never heard of that happening to anybody so um 
I think she, 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 I think she did it. I think she did it. <laughs> She's just trying to save face. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I, so, and I also love that in this scene that they're showing, it's you know the confrontation between Sydney and Billy, where she's like, "My mom's dead," you know, um, and you're insensitive. And I love that they just like slightly so, change up the the dialogue. That's just the way yeah. the cookie crumbles. <laughs> yeah. And then when she runs away, and he's like, "Stupid." Yeah. Um, I was like, "Wow." So. so the- they got that scene very accurate, but the but Casey Becker scene was just, she's a still liberty. single. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that is funny. But I love when they pan out from the scene when they're done showing it, and Nancy O'Dell turns to Tori Spelling and goes, "Ooh, Ooh I, I love, love scary, scary movies." movies. <laughs> not, not Nancy O'Dell, girl. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! That movie, Andre. When we were watching it again, Andre goes, "It's not even scary." <laughs> I know she's stupid. Also, is she, I hope she doesn't show her ass up in Scream Five, right? Because she's no. she's in every other one. She's in every single one of these movies. Nancy O'Dell is right, isn't she? In the entire Scream trilogy, yeah. Quadrilla. She's in all of them. She's in the fourth one. She's interviewing fucking Gail in the fourth one about her book. Oh about- my god, that's right. <laughs> Nancy, uh, wow! But honestly, you know what would be great world. though is if they brought her on and they murdered her <laughs> in the fifth one. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's how it starts. Fucking Nancy, Nancy Adele was murdered. Oh, in Hollywood, I would, I would love that. I would die. I'd be like, oh my god, this is full fan service. Because nobody would even know that. Oh my god! Because normal people would know that Nancy O'Dell had anything to do with any of the movies previously. Well, maybe they can do like the Halloween 2018 thing with those podcasters, where it's her <laughs> doing a Netflix special on Scream, The Wizard, and as she's like at producing it at her house, she gets murdered. Oh my god, <laughs> that's hilarious! I love this idea. It's so good. I'm gonna it's have, so I'm good. gonna send them rewrites right now. They'll reshoot it. Yeah, reshoots. You have plenty of time. Yeah. So then we have product placement. For Baskin Robbins. <laughs> yeah. There's a deleted scene where they're eating Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Where? Der- Derek and Mickey come to support uh, Sydney, who's being held in isolation, and they bring her Dunkin' Donuts You're and awesome. roses. Wow. That's beautiful. I know. Just kidding. Dunkin' Do- Donuts suck. So, um,. She's already happy. I saw Sydney Prescott eating Dunkin' Donuts and Baskin Robbins, so now I'm eating Baskin Robbins <laughs> and Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> oh my god! So one of the best parts about this scene, or this moment, is uh, Dewey and Randy sort of giving us like a short list of who our suspects are, just to keep us as the audience sort of uh, guessing on, on track with who we should be suspecting. We got Hallie, uh, we got Derek, Mickey's even thrown in there. Uh, and Gail. Which is good because he's kind of an inconsequential character. We don't really know too much about him. It's nice that they were like keeping him in at least the yeah. back of our minds. Well, I do appreciate this scene for sure because if they didn't do this, we'd be losing a lot of screen time for these characters. Like, right. you know, mentioning them is helpful because we don't, we're not following them throughout the story. Right, There's exactly. so many people in this movie. Definitely. It's like, okay, Hallie. Okay. Oh, yeah. I remember her, Derek. Okay. The boyfriend, Mickey, her weird classmate. And then even, yeah. even Gail, which I think bringing up Gail is uh, good for the little twist moment that happens at the end. Because now yeah. we're thinking, ooh, maybe it could be Gail. She's, Ooh, she's, it could be Gail. She seems like an opportunity. Staging the news. Yeah. 
Exactly. That's what reporters do. Joel expresses having second thoughts about being Gail's cameraman after reading her book, but Gail convinces him to stay. Sid has a meeting with her drama professor, Gus, who convinces Sidney to not drop out of her starring role as the tragic Greek character, Cassandra, having Sidney admit to herself that she is a fighter. (laughs) I am a fighter. During a full dress rehearsal of the show, Sydney hallucinates that she sees Ghostface amongst the Greek chorus, causing her to have a paranoid outburst. When Derek comes to pick her up, Sydney commands him to give her space and is unable to answer if she trusts him or not. Gail, Dewey, and Randy are talking potential suspects on the campus lawn when Ghostface calls Gail's cell phone, hinting that he is watching them. Gail and Dewey decide to search for him while Randy keeps him talking. As Gail and Dewey are looking around the campus and Randy verbally taunts him, Ghostface drags Randy into Gail's broadcast van and stabs him to death. When Gail and Dewey notice the broken van window, they open the door to find Randy's bloodied corpse. In the library, Sydney uses a computer and unexpectedly receives an IM from somebody threatening to kill her. Some threatening to kill her. It's just the librarian. She has some overdue books. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you want to die tonight? <laughs> then you better return that book. <laughs> Sydney is confronted by Cotton, who offers her the opportunity to have a public reconciliation with Diane Sawyer. When Sydney refuses, Cotton becomes increasingly threatening, raising his voice in the library and getting apprehended by Sydney's protection. While Cotton is interrogated by the police, Sydney weeps over the death of Randy but refuses to break. Cotton is released and tells Gail he is still waiting for his 15 minutes of fame. Uh, (laughs) I like the way he says that line. I'm showing like you, Gail. I'm looking for my 15 minutes of fame. Um, Okay. Outside the police. (laughs) He is. I'm like, I'll give it to you. Um, Outside the police station, Gail is intercepted by Debbie Salt, whom she snaps at for trying to obtain a quote from Gail. Joel flees the scene for good. (laughs) He's all fucked. Fuck this. Fuck this. I'm out of here. Oh, he's also walking with Dunkin' Donuts. So we, they were like, you're not going to delete my scene, bitch. You're going to make him hold the donuts then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just from craft services. After Dewey makes a dig at Gail, Gail has a vulnerable moment admitting her sole desire to find the killer. They both realize that Joel's crowd footage he left behind might hold the key to identifying the killer. As night falls, Dewey... I love this uh, score that's happening, by the way. Yeah, which I don't so think is related. dramatic. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. Okay. Um, as night falls, Dewey and Gail enter the film studies building to review the tapes. While watching the tapes, Dewey apologizes for his previous rude behavior toward her, and the two begin to kiss. And touching boobs. Yeah, and touch her tits. <laughs> When the video they were watching suddenly switches to footage of the Rialto and Omega Vega... (laughs) Omega Vega Vega... (laughs) Omega Vega Bites, bitch. (laughs) Omega Beta Zeta Jones. (laughs) I never thought of that. Oh my god. When the video they were watching suddenly switches to footage of the Rialto and Omega Beta Zeta, the killer attacks them, splitting up Dewey and Gale, chasing Gale through the labyrinth of the audio recording studios. 
When Dewey ends up behind a soundproof window, Gail is unable to warn him that the killer is behind him, leaving him to be stabbed several times in the back by the killer while she watches helplessly. So we have this big... I can't believe the fact that Sydney is in the middle of uh, rehearsing a show. Production. During all this Can debacle. Can you imagine how stressed she is? And has not been in rehearsal the entire time. She's going to parties. Like, insight for She any- hasn't missed a beat, though, because she knows her character inside and out. She does. Just to let you know, listeners out there who are not involved in the theater world, before opening night of a show, you are in rehearsal 12 hours a day. They're called. It's called like a... <laughs> Like a 10 to 10. You show up at 10 and you are usually out by 10 at night. It's like 12. Like, And you do that. You have a whole tech week. For some reason, Sydney's been able to go to parties the day uh, or the night before. She's had all the time in the world. I'm like, when the fuck has she been rehearsing this? That's not how theater works. But um, so she's going to have a little <laughs> afternoon dress rehearsal, which is also hilarious. Uh, <laughs> just in the middle of the day. I'm like, okay, getting full makeup, full costume. Um, for this rehearsal, and she knows all the lines. Oh. She's like, Troy has Fate fallen. I, <laughs> yeah, Troy has fallen, <laughs> <laughs> and fate has his eye set on me. <laughs> like, Boo! This show sucks. <laughs> I know, and it's fucking dangerous. Yeah. There are sparks flying, rocks falling. I'm yeah. like, wow. You better make sure you're in the right position, bitch, because yeah. that shit will collapse on your ass. But that dress is blowing. I wonder if she got this part as a pity. They're like, mm, we should, we want to sell tickets. Let's put Sydney Prescott as yeah. the lead in our show. They're like, I think Murphy would be a great choice. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, but Sydney has the trauma to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. They're just exploiting her trauma, to be honest, and gave her the lead, even though it clearly should have gone to Sister Murphy. <laughs> Yeah, and because you know what? Her professor is sort of uh, being insensitive. He's like, remember how all your friends died? Use that. Bitch, I wish I could say that wasn't something real people would do, but it is. <laughs> it, it is, Let's exploit right? your trauma for the stage. And then they like, ma- yeah. they mask it in like, you know, but this is cathartic for you. This will help you work through it. Like, bitch, no. Tell us, oh, Cassandra. <laughs> and that's kind of like um, almost fashioned after the actual script when Gail goes, Sydney, share with us, please. <laughs> Tell us, oh, Cassandra. Yeah. Yeah, Cassandra. <laughs> I'll share with you. Yeah, the Greek chorus <laughs> is just the, uh, the the paparazzi of the Greek time. Cotton and Gail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, oh, Cassandra. Um, and then she backhands one of them in the face. Yeah. I'll share with you. <laughs> I'll send you a copy. Um. Bam. <laughs> um, so, uh, do you think that she's hallucinating? Because we can clearly see him running off stage. Yeah. If she's not hallucinating, this is as stupid as the grocery store moment in Scream 1. <laughs> <laughs> I know we bring it up. That's the second time we brought that up, but that mo- that part is so cringy in the first movie. Cut. Why are you wearing that white mask? <laughs> I specifically said go to the thrift store and pick up a silver mask. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he's just like, so Woo! he's like dancing around behind them. Like he's like, nobody will yeah. ever know it. He's like. <laughs> he just, oh uh, he's God. like behind there just dancing behind them 
I think she has to be mm-hmm. hallucinating. She's just paranoid at this point. Like, I think she's just triggered by masks. Like, at this point, I yeah. really do. She, I mean, who would put Sydney in the role of a woman who gets chased around by masked <laughs> assailants wielding knives? I know. And expect her not to have an outburst? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm telling you, they were hoping she would. They're trying to exploit her drama for the stage. I wonder if it would have been better if yeah. they cast in the ensemble and made her put the mask on. Yeah. Reverse psychology, <laughs> yeah. like, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, so don't be the victim. Be the killer. They should have um, consulted with Hallie first, and she is in psychology. Yeah. Give her the knife. Um, so then we get to the three of them talking, Gail, Dewey, and Randy, and we get probably one of the most shocking murders of the, of the movie. Oh, I mean, probably the most shocking just because... He's the first. It's our core cast. Our core cast. He's one of the survivors of the first movie, and he doesn't survive the second one. And um, and honestly, he's the only character that the writers of any of the Scream movies have had the balls to fucking kill off. That's true. I mean, here we are going on Scream Five, and who the fuck is still with us? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. All the rest of them. So, so um, yeah, I don't know. I bet I I do. I will say that they definitely. This is one of the most, sh- the more shocking moments, especially when they show his body. I know. Does he have a? Does he have lipstick on his hand? It looks. It like, has to be. It looks like a, a kiss, right? Like I always see that. I'm like that's. Is that a huge clue that? It's Mrs. Lewis. Yeah, because she's the one that definitely kills. She admits to killing him. Yeah. She got a little knife happy. I'll leave this here. A mother's love never dies. Yeah, did she put on her lipstick before she did it? Like, <laughs> she's crazy. But yeah, crazy. he's he's fucking covered in blood, and it's a really sad moment. And this is kind of where the energy shifts for our main cast. Yeah. Then they're like, "Oh shit, this is real." I mean, not that they didn't know it was real before, but now they're like, one of these people, like one of our people, has been offed now. Yeah. You know. Yeah. This is sad. Yeah, anybody can go. I think that's the point, right? Anybody can go. Yeah, anybody can die. I, I have to talk about our favorite moment ever. When Dewey and, <laughs> when Dewey and Gail are uh, searching through people's cell phones because they're like, oh, if they have a cell phone, they must be Ghostface. Oh. <laughs> and so they, uh, <laughs> I think we talked about, did we talk about this in Scream? Yes, multiple times, I think. It's just so funny. It's like my favorite moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like... <laughs> The ghost faces on the phone with Randy, and they're like, obviously, it's one of these random people in this park sitting on their picnic blanket. They're obviously yeah. ghost face. <laughs> right? <Okay. laughs> so, like, going up and grabbing people who are talking on their cell phones. And Gail goes and she grabs one and she goes, Hello, who's this? Oh, and the girl goes, Who's this? Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro Murders. <laughs> and then she goes, Who? <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I know. Yeah, that's a great moment. There's another moment in there where she goes, um, when are you going to wait for the killer to strike next, bonehead? And he's like, no, bonehead. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Who wrote this? Ooh, burn. Disney Channel write this? Yeah, and you're watching Disney Channel. <laughs> My name is Dewey. It's like Ghostface with blood. Woo, woo. Making the Disney or the Mickey ears. Yeah. Bam, 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 bam. 
So, <laughs> in the library, um, Sidney gets the IM if she wants to die tonight, and she's like, oh my god, he's here. And she's starting to make a fuss, and the girl across from her is looking at her funny again. <laughs> I know. And all these bitches are jealous of her. They are so rude. I'm like, boo. What are you looking at? They're like, I wish a psycho killer would have been my boyfriend in high school. Yeah. Um, also, where is Sydney's show makeup? She just had a fucking dress rehearsal, and now she's like, clean face, hair's She's back. a gal on the go. Yeah, hair's back to normal. She has no more cur- We've taken out. Yeah, I was like, what the... It's just so silly. Anyway. <laughs> You're like, this doesn't make sense with the art of the theater. Yeah. Does any, did anybody consult anybody who's ever done a show? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably not. But uh, is it she in fucking theater? Nev? Probably. That's her. That's how she started. She started as a ballerina. Which like, that same thing. You would same yeah. sort of thing would happen for ballet. Yeah, you fucking clean all the way to McDonald's after first. <laughs> yeah, you go to fucking Denny's. <laughs> and you fucking make the waitress's life a living hell. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think this is one of the most intense moments in this movie is when Cotton confronts Sydney because this is when we really get to see a character from the entire backstory that started this franchise in the first place. Yeah. So for that to be confronting Sydney face to face is like, ooh, it's almost like coming, you know, full circle in a way. Yeah, and he's like really threatening and he's like and you feel for him. I always feel for him in this moment. I'm like, you know, I get it. Like you, you're you are you're... such a hoe. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel for him. Like I do, because I'm like, look, your life was fucking ruined by this girl. Not that she did it on purpose. She was obviously acting with her best. In uh, she was acting with the information she thought she had, and you know, so the yeah. fact that he's exploiting it sucks. But like. I don't know. I get it. And she's not being cooperative. Like, he's like, I'm asking for one thing. And although, I get it, she has, like, a lot of trauma. But, like, he has trauma, too, goddammit. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah. And he needs his closure as well. And if that means if, uh, you know, the world can forgive him, maybe he'll be able to move on with his motherfucking life, And maybe maybe she would have done it, but it was just his approach. He's, like, grabbing her jaw. Yeah, this is all. And I'm like, he's, like, shoving her against the wall. Yeah, that's toxic. He He throws her. You're right. Okay, I'm wrong. I guess his intention, I understand. His approach, not so much. Yeah, no. Jake is like, I would have been in there, like, threaten me, daddy, and bent over and spank me. I'd be grabbing his face right back. I'd be like, yeah, baby. Yeah? Yeah. In his mouth. <laughs> you a nasty bitch. Um, but I do think this is one of the best scenes in the movie. You know, a Cotton's unhinged thirst for fame, and then like her reactions to him, and just his sort of like back and forth. Like he, you can tell that he's probably used to be like. Uh, one of those guys that would fight at the bar in Woodsboro or something, you know, yeah. but now he's trying to like keep his composure so that he can relay his story. And I do like Liev's um, uh, choices as Cotton uh, to like sort of be this unhinged character that's sort of trapping himself so that he can, you know, make amends with the society. Yeah. And he's totally making himself look like a suspect. Like, why would you act like this towards this girl and that at this very moment? Like, is this the and they time? Show his- they show his boots, and those are kind of, you know... Yeah, suspect. Suspect, yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, he gets taken in by the by the police, and they have nothing to really keep him. They, 
didn't do anything other than raise his voice in a library, like he says. So they got a book me, yeah. book me, book me. <laughs> but what'd you say? fuck me? Just <laughs> <laughs> book me. You want to fuck me? <laughs> F- fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so uh, and then you know Sydney oh this is so crazy like (laughs) she found out that Randy's dead that was her little buddy I know she's like I should call his mom and they're like Sydney sit down sit down Um, don't make this about you (laughs) so Sydney would call Sydney would call his mom and be like my friend died (laughs) yeah (laughs) bitch this is not about you they'll honor him and stab to you really well oh so Gail <laughs> has this moment with Debbie Salt, and it's one of the ones that you quoted earlier in the synopsis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... I wish I knew the whole thing. She goes, like, Gail storms out, she's like, and Debbie's, like, trying to get a quote from her, and she's like, listen, local women. <laughs> I know you hold me as some sort of career template. And it gives you some kind of charge to challenge me. But give it a rest. I, I, I'm sorry. You're 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 right. It, it was a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so again, Debbie Salt. She's always on our radar. She's always around. She's always watching. But to- always totally sleeping. unexpected. Anybody I show this movie to the first time never suspects Debbie Salt. I know. She's such a. The, everyone thinks that she's probably just going to die being in the middle of it. Um, so Gail has this vulnerable moment because her cameraman quits. She's fucking cussing out local woman, and um, and now Dewey's like, you just would love if there was another killing spree, wouldn't you? So you can write another best-selling book, bitch, so they can make another movie yeah. about my life and my people. <laughs> um, She's like, no, I just so- want to find this fucker. I just want to find this fucker. <laughs> and that's when he's like, she's serious. So they go <laughs> she and they, at me, they, she's serious? Yeah. So they take Joel's footage that he left behind and they go to make sense of it. And suddenly they're seeing something that is pretty important, which is the killer has taken a videotape, um. a video camera with them <laughs> to show some of the victims before they died. And Scream 4 thought they were real cute. Kevin Williamson must have forgotten that he wrote this <laughs> into the script because they were like, the only thing to do in the next, in the reboot, is to film the murder. Yeah, like, no, so they like, already did that. They already did that in 1997, Sweetie Scream 2. <laughs> Boom. Stab 2. So then, um, they're attacked, they're attacked, they're attacked in this moment after they have, they start trying to fuck on the, on the professor's desk. Mm-hmm. They split up, and I think this is actually the most intense this movie gets. There's several really okay. good fucking intense moments in this movie, but this yeah. one is so beautifully choreographed. This moment between Ghostface and Gale, where she is running in the, in the labyrinth. Yes, yeah, so when she's like in the labyrinth of that like audio, um, of the audio recording studio, and it's really intense because it's like a maze. And you and we are seeing it from one angle, and we're seeing like the the flats and the sides, and yes. you know she's she's having to meticulously like plan when she you know goes from one wall to the other in order for Ghostface not to find her, and it's so intense. I think it's so beautifully yes. choreographed. Yeah, it is really well done. It's I think it's it is one of the more iconic moments of this movie for sure. Oh, it's just so good. I love it. And then um. 
she makes it into that little studio and then she sees Dewey get stabbed to death. I think it's a really good successful moment where like they're in the sound studio. Obviously there's soundproof glass and she's screaming and he can't hear her. Um, I think that's really, that's really successful and, and frustrating for them. And you know, it's just like a good use of the space. Yeah, and the score, yeah. because yeah. It's, he has this silent death where you don't hear him scream or, you know, anything. And she's just watching him and you hear her, but there's really this swell in the score yeah. where it's very dramatic. And I think it is it is really well done. Totally. It's well made. Yeah, love this moment. Yeah. They knew this would be one of those moments. They are like, yeah. this is an, an important part. Totally. Like Randy and like the opening. Totally. It's an important moment. The two officers drive Sydney and Hallie to a local safe location, while Derek sees them off and reassures Sydney he'll still be around when this is all over. As they drive away, Derek is abducted by a group of fraternity brothers, as well as Sister Lois and Sister Murphy. They tie him up to a fly in the theater and haze him for giving Sydney his Greek letters. Back in the car, Ghostface attacks, punches through the driver window, and slits Officer Andrew's neck. Officer Richards gets out to fight Ghostface, but is knocked down, allowing Ghostface into the driver's seat. Officer Richards pulls his gun out, but is run over by the police car. As he holds onto the speeding car, Ghostface drives the car through a construction site, causing a pole to impale Richards through the eye and the pole to penetrate the metal grate separating the front seat and the back seat. With Ghostface unconscious following the crash and the girl stuck in the back seat, Sydney is able to bend the grate and crawl into the front seat. In order to escape, she slowly crawls over Ghostface and attempts to remove the mask, but accidentally hits the horn. Hallie goes next and the two of them begin to flee. However, Sydney stops and wants to reveal the identity of the killer. When she returns to the car, Ghostface is gone and appears behind Hallie, stabbing her to death. Sydney runs. This is what Randy meant when when he said the body count is bigger, the death scenes are way more elaborate. Oh my god! This is over the top. Yeah, this is cray cray. This is like a yeah full on car chase, not chase, but like a explosions and like car drive. Like that car driving through that construction site is, I think, a pretty big like set piece stunt i think that's yeah it is there are sparks flying it's a, it's a it, this is very out of place for any of the four movies like this is really extreme yeah this is pretty um, extreme. especially considering like where is everybody where are the streets empty <laughs> yeah well yeah what is happening is the <laughs> town that dreaded sundown <laughs> What time is it? Yeah, seriously. Um, oh, maybe that's why, because there is a curfew. Oh, I think they do say that earlier. That is true. They do. But on campus, I don't know about... Yeah, where are they? Through the town. I don't know. But this scene is also very, uh, very scary. Or, like, intense, right? Um, yeah, this is this is a very interesting way to build some suspense uh, leading up to one of our main characters dying, which, you know, it's kind of underwhelming, but this whole scene leading up to it is pretty yeah, tense. Yeah, it's pretty tense. Like, well, first we had, we should address Derek. So Derek, he's, uh, he, him and Sydney are having problems. Like, there's several scenes now that we've had where he's, like, trying to convince her that he is trustworthy. He is, like, on her side, and she just can't get it. She can't get it out of her head that it could possibly be her boyfriend that's the killer, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, so she can't shake that feeling, but he is sticking by her no matter what. But then he's fucking 
taken by these fraternity brothers, these Greek system assholes, who go and t- go into the theater. First of all, that show isn't even open yet. How dare they go in there and ruin that set? Destroy the set? Like, who the hell do they think they are? So then they go in there and they tie him to one of the set pieces, one of the flies that come down. And he's like in his underwear, like just tied up and they're like it almost like almost looks like they're actually cutting him for lo- the longest time i thought he was actually bleeding but i think it's just paint or something i know i thought so too i'm like wow like, Jesus. they're really cutting into his flesh they're fucked up but then hallie and and sydney you know hallie being the protective friend she's the tatum stand-in in this one um a little less fleshed out you know unfortunately yeah. But um yeah, they have this huge moment where they are attacked in this car. Ghostface punches through this glass, you know, just super strength. And yeah. uh because they can't even kick the glass out in the yeah. back seat. Yeah, but you know, go like we said, Ghostface is like this entity that once you put the mask on, you are superhuman. A superhuman. Yeah. And uh, kills kills the officers. I think that's I think that scene when he's like on the front of the hood and he's driving through that thing and you're just seeing <gasps> his head just smash, 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 smash as they like go through like the wood part of the construction site. I'm like, that is so gruesome and so fucking gross. And it also looks so really fake. Gruesome. <laughs> it looks really funny, like yeah. dummy, but also kind of looks real. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of like 80s special effects. Yeah, but I kind of like it. But it I works. Don't think it, looks, it works. It looks like really effective. I mean, I guess if you were a human body going through that, Ew. that's what it would look es- like. Especially when he lands and that pole goes through his head Oof. and he's still twitching and moving and his ear is all displaced. Oh, yeah. Oof. And then they're trapped and these girls got to get out. And this is another fun suspenseful moment. Like Wes Craven is giving us two back-to-back just intense stressful moments and uh you know yeah. this moment where sydney has to crawl over Ghostface, and you're just like take the mask off take the mask off it's like of course just inciting audience participation she tries to take the mask off and then she her sweaty ass hands hit the fucking horn and she's like oh which geez. is a scary moment oh, like, oh, my girl, like, oh my god don't do that again and um and then um but then she makes it out and hallie another and you're just like you're i I feel like i was assuming i was like oh hallie's gonna get it right here but yeah so it's it's like such a shock when she escapes you're like oh my god thank god you know and you're like this is one of those moments that that this movies these movies do every once in a while where they build up something to be very stereotypical like oh, I see it coming yeah. and then it doesn't happen yeah the bait and switch I love it but then yes. she ends up getting it because Sydney's dumbass is like I want to go back I need to know who it is I mean which I guess makes sense she's all <laughs> and Hallie's like stupid people go back smart people run but why wouldn't Hallie she was ha- Hallie right. should have gone with her don't stand there by yourself I mean I guess she didn't she thought he was in the car my instinct would never to be run on the same side of the street from the car I just escaped I would have ran across the street first. I don't know. That's no, just that's like true. my... So I can survey the scene from afar and be like, where is it? Where is he going? That's true. I, you know, and how do they not him. see him get out of the car? Superhuman. Teleportation. This, that, this bugs me. Again, I, it's that suspension of disbelief because it's much more elaborate this time around. Right, of course. And then he pops out behind Hallie. 
and stabs her. And this is, uh, we don't even really see him stab her. We just hear some like squeegee noises. It's like squeegee, squeegee, squeegee. And then she's dead. Well, because originally I think they filmed her just getting the one stab to yeah. the chest and then she falls. And they were like, it seemed very anticlimactic for a character you were supposed to care about. You're like, really? You don't yeah. say. Which is inter- interesting also because this was obviously a reshoot because of what we find out in the next section. Right. Meanwhile, Gail attempts an escape from the film building and runs into Cotton, who is covered in blood. Gail assumes he's the killer, but Cotton claims he just discovered Dewey. Gail runs outside and interrupts a payphone call being made by Debbie Salt and shrieks that Cotton is the killer. Sydney runs through the campus and hears sound coming from the theater. As she runs onto the stage looking for help, Derek, still tied to the scenery, is passed out and lowered from the rafters. Suddenly, Ghostface appears and reveals himself to be Sydney's classmate, Mickey. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's Mason! That's <laughs> <laughs> Mason! <laughs> oh my god! You are... Oh my god, you are so good at that. You guys, Mickey Mouse is here with us. I was my co-worker for years, so... Oh my god. Mickey claims that he couldn't carry this elaborate plan out alone and says that it is Derek who is his partner. Derek denies it, but Sydney doesn't know what to believe until Mickey shoots Derek in the chest, killing him. Mickey tells Sydney that he intends to kill her and allow himself to be arrested so he can blame violence in movies for the murders at trial and be acquitted on the grounds of insanity with the help of Alan Dershowitz or Johnny Cochran as his defense attorney. Sydney and Mickey have a showdown, but are interrupted by who Mickey claims is his actual accomplice. Walking through the door is Gail Weathers. What? And right behind her, holding a gun, is Debbie Salt. Oh my god! Sydney immediately recognizes her as the mother of Billy Loomis. I guess this was a thing amongst the producers and the director and Kevin Williamson, where they would like shout this out when Mickey, when she goes, Mrs. Loomis, and Mickey goes, Billy's mother. Apparently they were saying that on set like a lot oh my God, that's after this happened. Um, Mrs. Loomis has undergone a makeover in order to get revenge on Sydney for killing her son. Mickey explains that Mrs. Loomis paid for Mickey's tuition fee in exchange for his killings. Mrs. Loomis then betrays Mickey and shoots him. Before Mickey collapses, he shoots Gail, causing her to fall off the stage into the orchestra pit. Sydney and Mrs. Loomis fight through the set and backstage of the theater until Cotton intervenes with a gun. With a knife to Sydney's neck, Mrs. Loomis attempts to negotiate with Cotton to let her kill Sydney for sending him to jail and ruining his life and reputation. Sydney finally agrees to a public interview with Cotton, who fires his gun, hitting Mrs. Loomis right through the neck. Gail reveals herself to be alive as well and is pulled from the pit. When Mickey appears for the one last scare, Gail and Sydney light him up with bullets. Sydney then shoots Mrs. Loomis in the head one last time, just to make sure. Outside, Dewey is revealed to be alive and is wheeled into an ambulance as Gail follows. When reporters swarm Sydney to get her story, she directs them toward Cotton, who she calls the real hero. The end. Wow. All right. Our big fucking finale. So Gail runs into Cotton, who is covered in blood, and we're like, it's fucking him. It's him. Because at this 
At this point, we really don't know how the killers are going to be revealed. It's, you know, after this one, we are like, yeah, there's going to be this big showdown and this big unveiling, the mask and all this stuff. And uh, But we don't know that yet. So this could be very well the moment that we realize that the killer is Cotton. But no, she runs off and she pulls the payphone from Mrs. Loomis and is like, oh, sorry, <laughs> from Deb- no, you're right. Debbie Salt. And it's like, Cotton's the killer. So we don't see anything else. So then Sydney's running around campus and it's very much like urban legend. That's what I got from it. Oh. Oh yeah. Totally. Right? It's like the same movie. <laughs> Even though same movie. like same movie. Um she runs and she finds Derek. And the first killer is revealed to be Mickey. Mickey and you're Mouse. and you're and you're like, Oh my god, Mickey. Wait, who? <laughs> who is it? I know, seriously. But I think that this is really well done where after he unveils himself, he sort of fucks with Sydney's head, like as she's trying to lower, you know, Derek down from that star that he's on. And is like, he's fucking with her. And this is kind of scary because you're thinking like, well, everybody knows the story now. So they know what to, and he, obviously Mickey knows what he's doing. So he knows, but in the commentary of this movie, uh, Wes Craven says, you know, this is a really nice arc for Sydney because she has this moment where she's trying to help Derek down. But then Mickey gets into her head. Like I couldn't have done this alone. Like, of course it's your boyfriend, boyfriend, killer, boyfriend, boyfriend killer, killer, boyfriend, killer. boyfriend, killer. boyfriend killer. Um, and it, she kind of buys into it because she doesn't help him down and she lets him get killed attached to this thing. And so Wes Craven's like, it's a really nice way because he goes, I really feel that this thing that Mickey does to her in this moment is what causes her to go into isolation in Scream 3. So oh, this is an important moment for, sure. for Wes Craven as the director. She can't, she has no trust for anybody anymore. And, you know, Derek was sincere, but now how is she ever to know that? I think she realizes in this moment that there's no way that she'll ever be able to know for sure that somebody isn't after her. Yeah, that's a scary thought. Yeah, and no wonder she goes into isolation. I don't fucking blame her. But um, so we have, yeah, so Mickey, uh, he his motive is uh, very... It's very social commentary. I think that the trial angle is obviously like a mm-hmm. bit was like a big thing, especially in the nineties. You know, especially with like OJ and things like that. Yeah. Where, you know, the trial became it's like theater. It's like the it's like it's like they're in in the theater talking about the, you know, the world theater, the world stage, which is T V, which is the trial. Um and yeah. com- what comes with that is notoriety and, and fame and money. And you never know what could, what that could lead to. So he's also an opportunist. He's a clout chaser as well. He's look. You know what? You know what? Real life thing reminds me of this is when that that fucking bomber was on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah, like yeah, it's crazy. We sensationalize murderers. Scott mm-hmm. Peterson. We look at like. You know, people like that, like they, the Night Casey Stalker, Anthony, yeah, all these, you know, yes. these are like people that are that are notorious for what they've done, but in a way, they're they're famous. They will, they've left their mark on society. Yeah, they are household names. Yeah, Mickey wants to be more than 
the Billy Loomis at the end of the story dying at the hands of the heroine. He wants to be go on and live out his story in the courtroom. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, unfortunately, that doesn't happen because uh, the the real killer of this movie. Let's be honest. Like she is the mastermind. She's the mastermind behind it all, which is Mrs. Loomis. And um, before we get into Mrs. Loomis. It is to be said that these were not the original intended killers of this film. The original intended killers of this film were going to be Derek and Hallie. Yes, who ended up being revealed as lovers. Yeah, lesbian lovers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, as lovers and that they were going to... I think their motive was more along the lines of Mickey's, correct? Yeah, where they were like these kids that found the opportunity to befriend and boyfriend Sydney and then uh, turn against her to be a part of her story. Yeah. And um, I think what happened with that is uh, the the ending got leaked, correct? Wasn't that what it was? Yes. The ending was leaked on the uh, internet. The World Wide Web. <laughs> the World Wide Web. www.net. The net. And um, <laughs> And so they changed the entire ending, but they didn't do it right away because in a second draft of the film that did not get leaked, Hallie and Derek were still the killers, but they end up dying and Cotton comes up to Sydney and kills her, but not before she kills him. (laughs) So there's this whole moment of this version of a script of Scream 2 where Derek and Hallie get found out, then they die, and then Cotton comes in and has a fight with Sydney because he, I think he kills Derek and Hallie, and then he takes over and is like, I'm going to kill Sydney. I'm going to get my ultimate revenge. But they kill each other, and they said everyone died in that version of the Jeez, script. Dewey died, Sydney died, and Cotton died. And I think Gail was the only one that made it out. Jesus Christ. That's like a, that's a real Greek tragedy. Everybody, or not, not Greek tragedy, like a Shakespearean tragedy. Everybody dies. So that, yeah. that makes sense that it would take place in that theater. But um, ultimately... I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah, that would have been insane. They're like, let's just change the killers. Yeah. So they changed the killers, and honestly, I think they made a good decision because Mrs. Loomis, yeah. her motive is pure. It's raw. It's to the point. She's like, you killed my son. I'm ready to kill you, which is crazy considering yeah. the fact that in the first one, we never even see, we see her. She's sort of referred to as this like woman who abandoned her child. So it's so interesting that like what we know of her so far has been like obviously not a negligent mother has such yeah. a strong feeling about the way that uh or what happened this to her. Ha- unfolded yeah. because i think ultimately she probably didn't want to leave billy behind but she was like did made kind of a selfish move where she was just like well i'm gonna leave and i'm gonna leave you with your your pig of a father who slept with that whore mrs prescott Rena Reynolds. And it's funny because as Debbie Salt, she sort of gives herself away uh, earlier in the film when she's like, well, I just feel like if the um, killer's trying to recreate Woodsboro, then the killer must be from Woodsboro. That's all. And she is. <laughs> yeah, that's all. <laughs> and she is. She's from Woodsboro yeah. and she's out here killing. But it is gobsmacking to me that Sydney instantly recognizes her like, yes, they have a history. But in all the research that Gail has done on to make that fucking book, she's never seen a picture of Mrs. Loomis. A new, yeah. And well, she's like, I've seen, she says, she's like, I've seen pictures of you. She's like, I had a makeover. So how did Sydney recognize her? 
Right, exactly. This is foolish, but we'll go off, sis. <laughs> so they have, like, and I just think that Laurie Metcalf gives just an unhinged, crazy performance. Um, oh my God. He, and Wes Craven said she was very quiet on the set. Like, she didn't speak. But as soon as she was into that character and they yelled action, she was in it. Uh, we love it. No, it is, it is, yeah, it is. It is a crazy performance, and uh, her crazed oh, face oh, yeah, and, and her, all those facial expressions. Right, and this is where we really see that that Sydney's a she is a fighter. She get she gives as good as she gets. She gets her ass whipped a lot, but she also whoops a lot of ass. She's she she yeah. fights back, and um, that's that's so great to see in our heroine that you know she's not passive and just scared that. She's willing to stand up for her damn self, and her, she, her and Mrs. Loomis go at it. And she won, and she bests Mrs. Loomis a lot. She drops rocks yeah. on her head, which I'm like, <laughs> bitch, those rocks are styrofoam. <laughs> Give me a break. They're not. Right. They're not using actual stones. They act, they act like she's set. crushed under there. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, that. Yeah, that's like no. That's hilarious that they made it like. What kind of budget does the school have that they would use actual stones on their set? Come on. Yeah, that was just styrofoam. And so, uh, yeah, because she, she she gets out of that pile of rocks and she's all bloody. And it's like, what? From what? Was that wet paint? <laughs> and I have to say that I think aside from, like, Roman in Scream 3, I think Mrs. Loomis is one of the most intense killers. She's the most intense killer. She's definitely the most intense. I, I do feel like, I mean, I guess we'll get to it next season, but I, I do sometimes feel like that is a big moment too in Scream 3. But this one is pretty intense. Like, I'm like, wow, yeah. this is shocking. Yeah. I love her performance in this. It is just beyond. Yeah. It, it definitely surpasses the reveals of the killer in the first one. And I don't think anything ever else, anything else matches up to it no. after that either. Agreed. But um, Agreed. No, absolutely. The, the, anytime Ghostface is a female, they are some vicious some ass crazy bitches. Killers. So yeah. then we, <laughs> then our final moment really comes down to Cotton getting his his redemption. His real ticket to fame. His redemption. <laughs> yeah, he exactly. And, and you kind of are left in this place where you're not really sure which way he's going to go. Like, is he actually... Um, does he actually hate Sydney that much that he would kill her? Or or does he have a conscience? And luckily for Sydney, he does. And he, you know, and he played it up in that moment when he's sort of negotiating with, with Mrs. Loomis. And he was like, yo, like, I wouldn't do that. Like, he's actually like, I'm actually a mild-mannered man. Like, I I would never do that yeah. to you. And uh, But I do like that he plays into yeah, he it. Plays like, he plays it. the scene out. He's like, I'm, he's like, you know what? She's right, Sydney. You'll never do Diane Sawyer with me. Yeah. But then he, he ends up saving her and shoots and kills Mrs. Loomis. And then we have the ridiculous <laughs> moment where... Where Mickey just comes up for one last hurrah, and he's like, <laughs> just and Gail and uh, Sydney just start shooting. Yeah, and um, I do like though the imagery of like Gail and Sydney being these badass broads with guns yeah. just shooting up the place, and Cotton's just there like, ah, oh, oh. Yeah, this movie yeah. should have gone <laughs> Scream Two, badass broads with guns. 
<laughs> oh my god, I know. I love just that Cotton's the most girlish of the three at the end. I know. It's what um, Kevin, uh, is what Wes Craven also pointed out in the commentary. Cute. And I was like, that is funny. I love That's it. That's funny. And then he gets, his fa- he gets his fame. She's like, I don't want all this paparazzi coming up to me. All these reporters. She's, all but, She's like, well, you go talk you to me. You know him. who does? Cotton. Cotton. And um, oh wait, before before we finish off, my favorite scene or my favorite line from this <laughs> section is when Sydney uh, realizes that Gail's alive, and she goes, "Gail, are you okay?" And she goes, "I've been shot, of course not." <laughs> <laughs> I like when it goes, "Jesus, Gail, you have more lives than a cat." Just shut up, cop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So then. Um, Cotton becomes the syndicated talk show host, 100% Cotton. Yes, coming in so Scream 3. So let's, let's go ahead and jump into the next section. So Scream 3, released <laughs> in 2000. <laughs> oh my gosh, no. Okay, so final thoughts. We've made it to the end of Scream 2. Oh, and Sydney, she my just fi- strolls off into um, despair. I don't know. Oblivion. Yeah, she's like, I... I'm, I thought she was going to oh. walk off a cliff or something. So fun fact about that is that they did this helicopter overhead shot of coming out of, you know, Sydney coming out of the building. That was their rehearsal shot because the actual shots that they did for the film were blurry and out of focus, but in, also included Ghostface in the tower. Oh my God. That, that the camera passes on its way out. He's all, hey. Oh my God, stupid. <laughs> Waving at the camera from the t- <laughs> Thanks for coming. This is my dream. <laughs> like, like he doesn't scream for yeah. he's waving his knife. Yes, yeah, so here, get off my lawn. Yeah. I'll get you <laughs> in the next one, Sydney. <laughs> he goes, ah, oh, he falls out the tower. Yeah. That's how it should have been. Um, so my final thoughts are that you can tell that this sequel was rushed into development. Yes. Um, there are several things in between that just sometimes don't make sense or just should have been left out or reworded or reworked somehow in the script. But ultimately, the bigger moments make up for that. Like the moments that they obviously carefully crafted for the film are really well done. And I really do think that this is just as iconic as the first movie. Totally. I think it sets the precedent of like what the other films are going to be about. And um, I really love it. Like, I, and I, I find myself more these days putting this on than Scream 1. Oh, I think too. you've said that oh, also. Yeah, I always watch this movie. Because it's just the aftermath of what we love so much about the first one, and the first one is just for us yeah. like in a capsule. That's the thing. It's like it's just like bigger, more cast, bigger moments. I don't know. I just love seeing where these characters are going. I love the continuation of them. I like to see where they've come from and where they've been. I don't know. I just love it. It's my favorite movie. I know it's not. It's not as good as the first one, but like barely. It's like just had. It's like a victim of timing because they were so pressed to release it so quickly. Um, you know, so they ran into some some moments that they just maybe had they had more time, they could have thought out a little more. But I just, I think it's so good. I love this continuation. I think the, the, uh, the su- successful moments are very successful. And... Um, I think it has a good payoff. I think we have a fantastic finale with a fantastic killer. 
And what more could you want from a Scream film? Right. Oh, what's your rating? I forgot to rate uh, it. Pff, it. 10 out of 5. 10 out of 5. I, I, I'm going to do a four and a half out of five okay i'll do a five out of five okay and that half a point literally is just because of those little loopholes that they yeah they're not major but they just they're not great either sure i'm gonna be generous just saying because i just love it (laughs) it's a great it's a great it's a great sequel and honestly so far the best sequel to the first scream film absolutely all right that's it we just finished our last episode of season two. Oh my god bye season two i want to say that i'm gonna miss it but honestly our new shit looks so and sounds so great that i'm just excited to keep going forward me too awesome social media we're gonna take a little break from here but we'll still be active on there so uh, follow us fear the talking queers um oh sorry at fear the talking queers on instagram make sure you visit our website www.fearthetalkingqueers.com yes and actually just lean in for a little bit here if you're still listening to this you're gonna get a special exclusive sneak preview of what we're doing for season three season three starts on like we said friday july 23rd and we're starting off the season with scream three yes so the scream is not going anywhere so yeah season three scream three here we come yes so our stab discussion to be continued yes oh my gosh i'm so excited thank you guys so much for sticking with us this season we love you so much and we can't wait to be back but until then we'll say sweet screams bitch bye see you next season